This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Secondhand Rose Antique Store, where we buy, sell, trade, and rent. Everything in the store belonged to someone. It belongs to me now. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And this week, it's Stephen King's sequels on Pod Cemetery with 1992's Pet Cemetery 2 and 2019's It Chapter 2. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. Got a real easy. This both questions are so stupidly easy. You're setting me up to for failure. No, I'm really not. <laughs> Name the movie. Okay. I see dead people. It's the sixth sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I was going with sort of a theme this week with Stephen King sequels because I didn't have any good ones in my book that that really fit it. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a description. Slightly modified so as to not give away too much. Okay. And you need to tell me what Stephen King's sequel movie this is. Okay. Okay? All right. After the suicide of her only friend, Rachel Lang has never felt more on the outside. The one person who reached out to her, Jesse Ryan, also happens to be part of the popular crowd that lives to torment outsiders like her. However, Rachel has something else that separates her from the rest. A returning character may hold the key to helping Rachel come to terms with her awesome but unwanted powers. But as Rachel slowly learns to trust, a terrible trap is being laid for her, and making her angry could prove to be deadly. Carrie to the rage? It is! <laughs> the secret powers uh, she had they describe as moving things with her mind, and that returning character, Sue Snell, the only survivor of Carrie White's rampage 23 years ago. <laughs> All right, so let's move straight into our first movie, 1992's Pet Cemetery 2, written by Richard Outen, directed by Mary Lambert, and starring Edward Furlong, Anthony Edwards, and Clancy Brown. Some great names there. <laughs> you might note that I did not say based on a characters or a concept or the original by Stephen King because he requested his name be removed from the film. <laughs> uh, the director, Mary Lambert, originally wanted the main character to be Ellie Creed, the survivor of the first film. Mm -hmm. But the production company, Paramount, didn't have confidence in a movie starring a teenage girl. So instead... They wrote a completely new story with new characters, and they made the protagonist a teenage boy. And they were trying to ride on T2's popularity because it came out the prior year by casting Edward Furlong. With all that said, Kelsey, what is Pet Cemetery 2 about? A young teenage boy 
loses his mother, and so his father moves them to this New England town in Maine. Yes. It's the same town from the first Pet Cemetery. Yes, it's the same, yes, the same place. Ludlow, right? I think so. Ludlow. And he starts to hear whispers of a cemetery where crazy things can happen. And then crazy things happen. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it without just telling you what happens. Yeah, no, we'll get into the actual plot. Uh, it, this movie is nuts. <laughs> yeah, this movie does a lot of things I was not expecting <laughs> no, it to do. No, not at all. Uh, you can get it on Epic's TV Anywhere if you have that service. Otherwise, it's $3 to rent. And pretty much everywhere, it's $10 to buy, except on Amazon. You can buy it for $7 for some reason. Should people watch Pet Cemetery 2? Tough question. If it's free, I would watch it because it's just so it's just so strange. Like it, it yes. I don't know why this movie exists. Just surprisingly <laughs> weird. And way better than I thought it was going to be. Except for the end. It kind of goes off the rails at the end. But I would I would say yes. Rent it. If you're curious about Edward Furlong and Zombie Clancy Brown. <laughs> like, yeah, rent this movie. It's nuts. It's very strange. Yeah. <laughs> and the trailer makes it look like what you would expect it to look like, but uh, it's not that. No. So if you watch the trailer and you're like, this looks awful, it's not how the trailer presents it. Yeah, listen, it's not some cinematic masterpiece or anything. Don't no. expect that. But it was interesting. Yeah. And way more interesting than I thought it was going to be. With that in mind, you guys can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1992's Pet Cemetery 2. Something strange. Now, I didn't think much about it until I saw him drag the body out of the coffin. Something evil. Bury your own. Something terrifying is happening in Ludlow, Maine. Again. Pet Cemetery 2. No brain, no pain. <laughs> Starts Friday, August 28th at Theaters Everywhere. All right, Kelsey, walk us through the plot. Get us started. What happens in Pet Cemetery 2? Well, it opens up on a shot moving through the woods, and at first you're like, what is this, a werewolf movie? And then sure enough, there's a wolf, and you're like, ah, uh, no. And then you realize that, oh, it's a movie They're set. Filming a movie. Then we see this woman uh, walking through a stormy castle. So we get it pretty clear that it's a movie. And she goes to do something on, in near water, and this she screams because the set piece like touched her before it was supposed to. Or there's something. a there's a a monster arm like a skeleton arm. And apparently, apparently, I do not, I was unable to confirm this, but apparently that arm comes from the skeleton in the pond in the It miniseries. Really? Yes. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was from T2. No. <laughs> I was unable to confirm if that is actually the case, but it is something that I heard. So... The set, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous because there's no way in the 90s they would have such a dangerous set because this could happen. Yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> but so 
she there's all this electrical equipment and it's supposed to be during a storm so there's all this water everywhere uh-huh. which doesn't take a fucking genius to realize that that's fucking dangerous yeah but they're doing the set and it's so dark that the guy who's using the prop can't see where his mark is supposed to be again this just has Getting sued all over it. Oh, don't forget, just prior to this, she has a conversation with her son, Edward Furlong, where they establish that his parents are divorced, they might get back together, but he shouldn't get his hopes up. Yeah, but most importantly, I love you. I love you too, Mom. Mm -hmm. That needs to happen right before the tragedy. (laughs) Yeah, so... Because movies are lame like that. (laughs) I think it's showtime. (laughs) Jeff? I love you. She ends up getting electrocuted, as was very obvious from the start. Yeah. But it is like, goes on for a while. It does. Which I'm just like, wouldn't they just turn the electricity off? I think they were trying to, but it, they couldn't or something. And you just, you hear Edward Furlong do his his classic puberty scream that he had. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> just the squeaking scream that he has. Ma! He's adorable. (laughs) So he's just he just has to stand there and watch his mom get fried. Yes, Yes. for a very long time. So we cut to the funeral. Yeah, so she's this famous actress, and his father is a vet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are you so fucking They got kidding? together before she was an actress, I'm sure. They've been together for a while. And But so, at the funeral, there's all these photographers, and they, they all are getting up in Edward Furlong's face as he's crying over his dead mother, which you think is going to be part of the story, but it's not. No. Like, the, the fact the, that he has a famous mother doesn't play into anything. It kind of does with the housekeeper. Oh, yeah. A little bit. But Clancy Brown is there, and he's the sheriff of Ludlow. He's like, hey, get back, you ghouls. Like, show a little, show respect. A little respect. And then immediately turns to Anthony Edwards and says, hey, did you know that your ex-wife and I used to fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Well, but they know who each other are. Like, yeah. he says, I remember you. Yeah, uh-huh. And they are moving into their summer house full time. Which is where she grew up or, yeah. Mm-hmm. To get away from L.A. Yeah. Clancy Brown's accent, by the way, is incredible. He does that whole main accent thing, you know, that we don't go down that route. Like that one. <laughs> but it's a lot less striking. Yes, but it is. Like, you can hear, it's almost like Clancy Brown's voice was made for that accent, I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he actually grew up in New England. Damn dog stuck his nose in on my rabbits. They ganged up on him. I swear that dog is dumber than lobster bait. Nope, he was born in Ohio. <laughs> so they're moving into this house, and they, they're bringing in all this wardrobe stuff. And they're like, uh, you want us to put us all this in the attic? Are you sure? And the dad's like, come on, kid, let's let's just sell it. Let's give it to Goodwill. What do we need it for? And he's just like, you're the one who wanted to move. Yeah. If you want to fucking move, this is what's happening. Yeah. Apparently. And he kind of acquiesces. He's like, okay, bring all of the stuff labeled with his mom's name up to the attic. 
Meanwhile, they meet their new housekeeper, who I guess is supposed to be interested in the father, and the father's automatically interested in her. And well, of she's course, a young, attractive woman that looks kind of like a younger version of his ex-wife. And of course, Edward Furlong doesn't like that because his mom just died, even uh, though his parents weren't even together, but whatever. Well, one of the boxes falls over, and it has like her gowns in it, and she's like, oh, she wore this to the Emmys or whatever, and... And, like, picks it up. Yeah. Like, do not touch my mother's shit. Yeah, like, I can understand maybe being like, oh, my God, I've seen this dress. Like, I remember when she wore it. But you do not (laughs) pick up the dress of a dead woman in front of her young son and put it on Uh and be like, look at me wearing her dress. It's like, what the fuck? Fuck? Okay, to be clear, she doesn't wear it. She no. holds it against herself. It's fucked yeah. up, though. <laughs> it's weird. And then, yeah, and then Edward Furlong is like, what does he say? He says something. Like, don't touch her stuff or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so. and she's just like, oh, I'm sorry. And it's like, what the fuck were you thinking? This is gorgeous. This is what she wore at the Emmys, isn't it? Hey, don't touch his stuff. I made it crazy and people touched your stuff. Like, I think we're supposed to think Edward Furlong as being a little jerk here, and I don't at all. Well, he's maybe a little mean, but he's a kid. He's a kid. And that's kind of the focus of this movie, is one of the things they talk about that the director really wanted to do, if she couldn't do the story she wanted to do, is make it a story about young teenage boys and the bad decisions that they make. (laughs) Well, we find out that... The guy is taking over the veterinarian hospital where church was taken. Yeah, same hospital. Now, here's the thing about that, because they're going to make this into a big deal. As far as I remember, now I admit it's been a little while since I saw the movie or since I read the book, but I don't remember them taking church to the vet after he had risen. I don't know. From the dead. I don't remember that happening at all, but they're acting like the guy dealt with the cat. Now, perhaps after everything happened, because the implication is that the wife who came back was a, ended up being killed by the police, which is Well, yeah, they tell this happen. kind of story after the fact that, yeah, she, she becomes violent and, and kills everybody. And like, then everybody dies, even Ellie. Well, no, that wouldn't make any sense because Ellie wasn't there when it happened. No, she went crazy. Oh, yeah. Ellie went crazy. Ellie went crazy. And they killed the mother. Yeah. So I guess maybe they're saying that, like, they took Church to the vet after Mm because they're like, what the fuck do we do with this cat? Also, Church isn't the first animal to go through this. True. So the doctor knows, has seen this before. That's what you need to know. But he won't come in until way later. But so they're opening that place back up. And they in the back, they find a box full of kittens. Edward Furlong begs to have, like, to keep one of the kittens. And the dad says, basically, fine, but you got to take care of it. You know, that whole thing. Uh, you clean it up. You, you know, we clean them all up and we get rid of the rest of them. You can keep one of them is basically... Right? Isn't that it? Or you clean up the back room or something? He had to clean up the cages. Yeah, that's what it is. And so he gets a new cat. Does the cat ever factor into the story ever again? Twice. This first time right here is when we first meet Drew and his dog, Zowie. And he is the stepson of Clancy. 
And when they first get in there, the dog, like, starts barking at the cat. And, like, the kid does, like, nothing <laughs> to yeah. stop it. So the idea is that this kid, I mean, he's a typical kid. He's he's kind of lazy, but he's also sweet, but he's also uh, a nerd and doesn't, and is totally unsure of himself and uh, has zero confidence. And basically not at all the type of kid that Clancy Brown would want to have. Right. But his mom's hot, so, you know. Yes, now, the weird thing about the Clancy character is that it takes a long time for you to actually not like him. Well, yeah, it kind of bubbles. Gus is his name, by the way. He It, it kind of bubbles. Like, he doesn't up. seem like the warmest or nicest of stepfathers, but he doesn't seem like a total asshole until yeah. way later. He's firm, but he, at least in the beginning, he's reasonable. Yeah. So what happened is Zowie got into the rabbit cage because Gus keeps rabbits and got scratched and they're worried about the 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 cuts on his face and so Anthony Edwards is looking at the dog and he's like okay well we put some antibiotics on the cuts but also his cornea is cut so there's some eye drops you're going to have to administer to him and Clancy Brown's like Drew are you paying attention cuz you're the one that's going to have to do this reasonable dad stuff. That's exactly yeah, what I would uh -huh. say to a kid who was obviously not listening. And yeah. I'm just like, you're the one who's going to be doing this. You better be listening. Also, they say Zowie a lot in this movie. You'd think if they knew they were going to say the name of the animal a lot, they'd pick a better name than Zowie. It's so dumb It sounding. is a very dumb name. But so, okay, Clancy ends up telling Furlong... Your mother and I used to be sweethearts. Homecoming, prom, the whole nine yards. Hey, Jeff. Jay, your mother and I used to be sweethearts? Really? Yeah. Prom, homecoming, whole nine yards. Of course. That was a lifetime ago. And it's just like, is this the most appropriate right. time to be it's, talking about it's this? It's inappropriate. And I guess it's kind of to bully the, the father? It kind of is, because this nerd vet, you know, got away with Gus's sweetheart. Yeah. So then the next day, for whatever reason, Furlong decides to bring his cat to school. So weird. Which ends up creating this chase scene between him and the friend from Big... Who's the oh bully God. for no this, good reason. No reason. He just decides to steal the cat and ride away on his bike. Like, I understand that human beings exist like this in real life. I get it that there are some people who are just awful. But, like, please give us some sort of insight into why, why they pick their targets, like something. This is just an awful person who is, like, murderous immediately and with no explanation. Yeah, and, like, he makes fun of the kid for having a dead mother. And I'm like... Like, who does that? What? <laughs> who actually does that? <laughs> that was in something. Who pushes a g little girl out of a treehouse because his... The Babadook. That's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Your father died because he didn't love you. Right, but these are, like, little kids. <laughs> and it's like, hey, you know, you don't have a dad. And having a dad is great and awesome. And, like, so I understand that a little bit. You got a little shithead, tiny little kid. But these are 13-year-olds. Mm -hmm. And your mom's dead. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> come on. That's one of the things that we now know is a precursor to serial killer. Like, hurting a, a little animal. Yes. So I'm just like... I don't know. I don't know. Satan's pretty cool. 
I wish they had done more with this kid because for a long time in the movie, he just disappears and then he pops back up again. And it's like, ah, I wish they would have done more with him. But they set him up as this villain because he's going to be a villain throughout the rest of the movie. So anyway, he he takes the cat whose name is what? Do you remember? He names him Tiger. Tiger. Which, okay, lame name, but whatever. <laughs> That's what he says. He <laughs> says, what a pussy name or whatever. Yeah, so he, he steals the cat and runs away. Oh, you ever see a cat? move really fast like this and he like grabs the cat and he gets they everyone gets on their bikes and they all run off so finally edward furlong catches up to him and drew is there with him and he like knocks him down and they get into this big old fight and but the cat's not there yeah he tells him i've killed the cat and i put it in the pet cemetery now how on earth did he have the time yeah whatever Whatever. To go all the way over there, put the cat where he put it, and then run all the way back and be waiting for Edward Furlong. Yes, uh-huh. But sure. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but whatever. And he's, he hints at the rumors of be bringing things back from the dead here at this point. Yeah, he, he brings up the Creed murders. Yeah, the Micmac burial ground. Drew tries to stand up to the bully, and I'm pretty sure the bully keeps him in his gang just because his father is the sheriff. I don't think that Drew's in the gang. I think he's just there. And the kid's like, whatever. I'm not going to fuck with you because your dad's the sheriff. But, like, he doesn't – I don't think Drew's in the gang. He's just there. So he when always the gang is leaves, with them. When the gang leaves, Drew is there and he stays with Edward Furlong. I guess. So they say, maybe if you bury your mom back there, she'll come back. Yeah. So they go to the pet cemetery and Edward Furlong, who, by the way, his name is Jeff – his dad's name is Chase, but his name is Jeff. <laughs> so he finds the cat in an old birdcage that was left over the grave of a bird, obviously. Drew is like, hey, don't listen to him. You know, he's an asshole. Sorry about your mom. Yeah. She sure was beautiful. Right. Sometimes I wish Gus would die. <laughs> Yes. And the kid's like, whoa, Edward Furlong is just like, you can't wish that about somebody, especially your dad. And this is when we find out that he's not my fucking dad. He's my stepdad. Yeah. And at like at this point, Chris and I were like, so he just hates him because he's kind of strict. Yeah. It's unclear exactly why Drew is so pissy about his dad. Um, but he does end up asking him about the Creed murders and Drew is like, it's nothing but an old ghost story. Don't worry about it. Yeah. What was all this stuff about people coming back to life? Nothing. It's just an old ghost story. Hey, let's get out of here. I agree. We see Clancy with, like, his rabbits, and he's kind of weird with them. Yes, he's obsessed with these rabbits, and we get to see the rabbits have sex. Yeah, we do. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, he's, like, watching it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that night... Zowie gets back into the rabbit cage or starts to get at the rabbit cage and interrupts Gus and Drew's mom having sex. So Gus runs out with his gun and as the dog runs away, he shoots the dog. Earlier, we had seen them at dinner and like the father, Clancy was like, you got to turn off the TV. Your mother has spent an hour cooking dinner and you're uh -huh. just going to sit here and watch TV, which personally, I think it's not the worst thing in the world. Not, no, not a bad and the mom's like don't worry about it i don't care and like you can see that the mom is kind of torn between the two because it's weird like with her he's almost loving yeah mm -hmm. but with the and son playful I and like they're really cute but with the son I, th I think it's more just like i'm not your friend i am raising you and yes. i'm 
disciplining you and teaching you how to be a man. Uh-huh. But, of course, he just takes it too far. He ends up shooting the dog. Uh-huh. Be- I mean, like, okay, I get his frustration and right. his anger over the situation, but it's like... You don't kill the you dog. Don't, you don't kill the dog, especially since you electrified the fence. Like, right, yeah. the dog had already gotten hurt. Right. And he didn't get at your rabbits because of what you had done to prevent it. Yeah. There was no reason to kill the dog, except to spite your your stepson. So when when the kid finds the dead dog, he's just like, I gave you enough warnings. Don't shoot him! What, Drew? What did you say? Gus, what have you done? Come on, Amanda. Stop looking at me like that. He's had ample warning about that dog. So the kid decides that he's going to bury his dog. And we get the weirdest song. Do you remember this song in the bizarre no, lyrics? So, no, no, because the movie is full of 90s... Weird songs. Yeah, like... Not songs you've ever heard of. Strange. Some might be, but but they're yeah. like lyrical. Like it's yeah, not uh-huh. music. It's it's actual pop or like you know like weird goth music. Yeah. It's so strange. Let's we'll play it here. Jeff comes along Drew, like he's riding his bike and, and it's early in the morning and Drew's there and he's kind of all dirty and he's like, you know what I, I want to do? I want to go bury my dog. He's dead. And Jeff's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And Jeff's going to help him bury his dog. And they go to the pet cemetery and then they take Zowie's body to the Micmac burial ground. Drew says there's a better place. Yes. And so they spend, like, the entire fucking day. And the kid asks him, he's like, I thought you said it was an old ghost story. And he goes, but what if it's not? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you do anything to bring someone back? Yeah. And it's like, uh, I see where that's going. Uh Uh-huh. Of course, based on what we know of Pet Cemetery, wouldn't. It's not that it wouldn't work with someone who had been dead for that long, but the implication is that the more dead you are, the less effective it is. Yeah. And we should mention that right before he does it, Edward Furlong asks if he needs help. Oh, yeah. And, and he, he says, says you, you have to bury your own. Your own. Yep. It's like it's like a rule. And then once he does it and it doesn't happen automatically, he's like, I guess it didn't work. And he's, he asks Edward Furlong, he's like, I guess you get over it, right? Eventually, and the ki- and of course Edward, Edward Furlong, Furlong is like, like no, no, never, you never get over it. It's like okay, it's been two weeks or something. It's been a, a very small <laughs> amount of time since his mother died. First of all, second of all, there's a difference between a mother and a dog. Yeah, uh huh. It's just it's ridiculous. But anyway, but the dog does eventually come back and completely obliterates all of Gus's rabbits. Just tears the thing to shreds. 
the cage. And now Gus is pissed. And he's like, how dare you lie to me? You told me you buried that dog and he was actually just fine. Because when Gus shot him, they didn't know the dog was dead. So when Drew came back that night, he's like, yeah, I buried my dog. Kind of asshole, like kind of way. So Gus like, you lied to me. You said he was dead. And he's like, he was. <laughs> but now he has this big gunshot wound in the side of him. Uh, so they take him to Anthony Edwards. They do a bunch of tests and they pull some blood and it's like, I can't find a heartbeat. They try to heal the wound, but later when they check on it, it hasn't healed at all. A bunch of indicators that this dog is actually dead. We also get a bizarre dream sequence at this time. Yeah, there are two dream sequences in this movie involving Zowie, where Zowie is like the head of someone else, which is a little weird. Uh, if you go back to It, where the dog head on the clown body that what's-his-face sees. I think King has a problem with dogs. <laughs> well, he didn't write this. Oh, I guess that's a good point. They're just riffing off of it, I guess. Well, also... Cujo. And, yeah. But I'm saying, like, a dog head on a human body. It happens twice in this movie. Yes. But it's all dreams every time. So the first time it happens to Edward Furlong, and he dreams about his mother yeah. having the dog's head, and it is so bizarre. Yeah, and then Zowie's just kind of, like, sitting on the chair when he wakes up. Mm -hmm. It's like, what the fuck? So for whatever reason, they he, Edward Furlong and Drew decide to hang out with the bully and his friends on Halloween night. it's this big Halloween party at the Pet cemetery. And when they first show up, Edward Furlong thinks he sees his mother as a ghost coming at him and, like, screaming. And it ends up being just a doll that they're doing. Uh-huh. And they all, like, laugh at him, and it's like... What? Fucking yeah, really? Christ. Psychopaths. Yes. Drew was able to go even though his dad told him he was grounded. Because his mom him. let him out. Yeah, his mom did his makeup like a vampire and let him leave because, oh, your dad's working tonight. So just go, but be back by this particular time. But the dad ran out of smokes, so I had to come home uh -huh. to find that the kid wasn't home. Yeah, and so he's super pissed. Uh, you undermined my authority, yada, yada. And she tells him... Because he ends up throwing her around. Yeah. This is the... I mean, aside from the fact that he shot the dog, like, this is the right. part where it's like, oh, it, he's it abusive! Keeps, it keeps escalating, right? Yeah. And, and he goes out to look for Drew, because he's super pissed. And so he shows up at this party, and they're all... Everyone's super pissed, because, thanks, Drew, your dad totally ruined the party or whatever, and they're running away. And in the kerfuffle, a lamp catches something on fire. And so the pet cemetery is caught on fire now. And when Gus is like going to beat the shit out of Drew and there's nothing Jeff can do about it. He tells Jeff, go home to your father or whatever. Zowie, uh, Zowie comes out and just destroys Gus, jumps on him and then rips out. He's like, get your dog off of me. Drew, get your dog off of me. And then just rips out the side of his neck. And we get bizarre guitar music during uh -huh. this point as well. Okay, speaking of the bizarre music, there's like a theme, sort of a melancholy theme that plays throughout the movie. 
And every time it kicks in, I expect it to be Suicide is Painless, you know, the MASH theme. It sounds like that at first. And then there's another part of the song that sounds like a really sad version of the punch out training theme. You know, the one that goes dun, 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 punch out theme. Nope. Well, but it's like slow and sad. Dun, 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 dun. I'm like, oh my god, that's Punch Out. They just took Punch Out. <laughs> anyway, you got me on the subject of music, and that, <laughs> that's what it made me think of. So, like, oh fuck, Gus is dead. And why they can't just leave him dead, I don't understand. Well, it would be bad. So, this is where it gets really even more, I should say, wacky and weird. This is when it gets real wacky. Uh-huh. And the teenagers, these teenage boys, make a bad decision and they panic and they're like, well, what if he wasn't dead? Then we wouldn't be in trouble. And so they go and they bury him in the Micmac Cemetery. But why would he want to resurrect this dude? Go because and tell them he was attacked by an animal. Like I said, the movie is about teenagers making bad decisions. Yeah. Their immediate thought is he's dead. We're going to be in trouble. So if he's not dead, then we won't be in trouble. They're not thinking further than that. And they go and they bury him. And that night, Drew wakes up to, hey, Drew, that's my keys. It's so (laughs) funny. Like, it gets real wacky. Zombie Gus is spectacular. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Found them. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this, Gus is back. The mom doesn't know that he's been injured. As a matter of fact, oh, oh, there's this scene, which might be a little much. He goes to get cleaned up, you know, because he's covered in dirt and he has the wound. He covers the wound and she's like, don't, don't get in the shower or whatever. Just come here and hold me. And so then he gets into bed and they start to have sex. But then as this aggressive zombie, he just gets way too aggressive and she's not into it. She tells him to stop and she screams and he doesn't. And so Gus is now a zombie rapist, too. And it's. It's kind of intense. It is. So anyway, Gus, awful. But you get kind of the impression that she's not exactly surprised by this. Like something like this may have happened in the past in this relationship. Anyway, uh, somewhere along the line here, Anthony Edwards gets a call from the blood people, the people who analyze the blood. And they're like, all right, who, who sent this in as a joke? And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, this is a dead animal's blood. He's like, no, it's not. And he's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> they used to do this, too, with the old vet. He would send me dead animal blood, too. Are you going to be, you know, pranking me like this, too? And so Anthony Edwards is like, huh, maybe I should go talk to this old vet. Well, but before that, so those kittens are still there. Yeah, this is what I was going to talk they about. Were, yeah. <laughs> they're giving them away free to good homes or whatever. And they've been taking care of Zowie. Zowie. 
And so they kept Zowie in the same room where they kept the kittens. And this mom and her two daughters show up to, to look at the kittens. And the guy is on the phone and he's just like, just go on back there. But when they go back there, they find just a bunch of dead kittens. Just ripped to shreds. And like they, the movie shows it to you. It's gruesome. Yes. And obviously the mom and the kid are freaking out. Yeah. And, you know, Chase, Anthony Edwards apologizes and, and you know, get, rushes them out of there. And it's like, oh, shit. Oh, God. <laughs> so that's when he goes and sees the vet who used to work there. He tells him about church. He tells him to get the hell out of that town. Yeah, and he does this thing where the whole the whole room is filled with taxidermy, almost like Psycho, but it's not just birds. And the vet, th- when he when he wants to send Chase away, he throws he grabs something and he throws it at the wall. And you find out that the crow that's been sitting on a perch right there is actually alive because it flies away. That was awesome. I <laughs> love that. <laughs> but yeah, he's like he he tells him that yes, these animals are dead. They're not the same. You know, he basically gives him that whole speech. So Gus skins all the rabbits and cooks them for dinner. And then they're going to have dinner and Jeff is over because, you know, they're in this together. Him and Drew are in this together. Gus is having dinner with them. And it's this weird scene and it's kind of awesome. At one point, Drew has to reach over and, like, adjust the bandage on Gus's neck. And Gus just kind of looks at him. <laughs> it's, it's really great. That whole scene is really good. And they're all nervous until finally, yeah, Gus breaks the tension by just burping. And then he laughs. And then they all laugh, too, because they're so nervous. <laughs> There's this dead zombie version of Gus actually eating dinner with them. <laughs> this is when Chase has the dream about the mom. And they're having sex. And then her head turns into Zowie. <laughs> yes. And dream sex. I, I understand. I think they're trying to make him. I can come back, Chase. Yeah. I think they're trying to make him like sort of like dreamy, confused and struggling. Like like he's, well, like like he's what, half asleep. It's like what happened in the original Pet Cemetery, Telling him, bury me and I will come back to you. That's not my point. Okay. My point is when it's revealed that she has Zowie's head this dog's head, his reaction isn't like, oh, shit, and, like, pushes her off or anything like that. It's like, oh, oh, God. Uh, uh." It's almost like he comes right then. It's very weird. (laughs) I wrote down, they both dream about the mom with the dog head, only Chase is fucking it. (laughs) And he kind of comes when he realizes it. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) But then, yeah, he wakes up and the dog's really there. Yeah. And the dog ends up uh, shredding the pillows. So there's all these feathers flying. Uh Uh-huh. And then he ends up shooting at the dog as it jumps through the glass. Yes. It's it's very ridiculous. And I can't remember what movie it reminded me of with the feathers and through the glass. And it reminded me of something. I can't remember. Sounds familiar. So Clyde, the bully, attacks Jeff with his bicycle wheel he runs him off the road down a hill down an embankment and then he's like spinning his bicycle wheel up over his face and he's like i don't know what's gonna happen to all your skin and all the stuff he's really threatening and again a psychopath but before anything can happen gus grabs clyde the bully just shows up out of nowhere just grabs clyde and is like jeff go home jesus christ gus go home 
said go home. And Jeff runs away and he kills Clyde, but Drew was kind of chasing after. So by the time he gets there, he sees that Gus has killed Clyde. He's like, oh, God, now he's killing kids. This is not okay." (laughs) So Gus chases him. They make it all the way back to the house and the dog's in there. And now it's Drew versus his own dog and Gus. And everything's getting smashed around. And he runs outside when his mom shows up. And he's like, just drive, drive, drive. You know, he gets in the car. He's like, what's going on, honey? Gus is trying to kill me. And she's like, what? And then Gus lunges out of nowhere and lands on the front of her of her uh, car. And she's like, oh, God. <laughs> she freaks out. And, okay, but you missed the fact that during the, the sequence where he's running after him, it's very much like The Shining where he Oh yeah, there's this whole thing where he breaks he, through the door with yes. a hammer. I'm going to bash your head in. Uh-huh. And what does he say when he peeks through the door? I don't remember. He says something else that's like a it's, it's not here's Johnny, but it's obviously supposed to be a reference to that where you pop your head through the broken door and you say something pithy. Everybody. You have the right to remain silent. I'll have to your head in. You have the right to an attorney, but you won't need one because you'll be dead. <laughs> you understand these rights, everybody? Are you just too fucking stupid? Everybody loves that shot from The Shining, uh-huh. which they just don't seem to remember that Stephen King fucking hates that movie. <laughs> but anyway, so they peel off away from Gus, and Gus is like, ah, shit. You know, zombie Gus, remember, he's a zombie. And then he goes back to his police station wagon or SUV or whatever it is and gets in and he chases after them. And this is another bizarre song where they, they sing like, I want to die like Jesus Christ. Like, yes. It is so strange. It is very weird. This is crazy bold, but then Gus manages to force them into the way of an oncoming potato truck, and they ram well, into each don't other. Don't forget the fact that he pulls up next to them and smiles. And like, waves, I, yeah. I love that shot. It's cute. It's, it's cute. It's hilarious. And the song keeps going. I want to die like just like JFK. Like I wrote this down <laughs> because I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Yep. So there's an accident. With some giant ass potatoes. Well, yeah. Those things were enormous. The truck basically obliterates their car. And Drew and his mom are just dead now. Yeah. And Chris was like, oh, I wonder if he's going to bring them back like a zombie family. No, he just wants to bring the bully back. Yes. That's the weird thing is because he buries the bully, but not his family. Which is a little bit weird because ultimately... He doesn't care about his family. He cares about Edward Furlong's mom. He's had the hots for her ever since high school when they were high school sweethearts. She's kind of the one that he wants to bring back, really. So now there's Drew's funeral. And we find out later that Gus stuck around after the funeral and said he had a police order to exhume Edward Furlong's mom. We find out later because 
somebody calls Anthony Edwards Chase and is like, oh, you're the gravesite's been defiled. You sound familiar? And then runs to the gravesite and the the attendants like, yeah, he said he had an order to exhume the body. I didn't think anything of it until I came back and I realized what happened. He just smashed the coffin and yanked the body out. <laughs> It's like, that's not an exhumation. Like, yeah, so that's when he called Chase and Chase shows up. But in the meantime, Gus takes her body to the Micmac burial ground where Jeff is waiting. And he's like, yeah, you got to bury your own. And he tells Jeff to bury his mom to bring her back. Yeah, and it's at this point where I wrote, like, why is he trusting him? He killed his best friend. Yeah, because he's more, that's the thing is, that's kind of what Pet Cemetery is all about. It's about your inability to let go of things that die, right? And so you're focused on bringing back somebody from the dead and damn the consequences. And that's kind of a lot of the the thought process that goes throughout this movie, especially because our protagonist and his best friend are, again, 13-year-old boys. There is a scene where Edward Furlong is up in the attic and he, he's been putting all the stuff up out for his mom. And the dad walks in. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, getting it ready for mom. And this is when Edward Furlong's acting. I mean, he was never like an Oscar winner or anything. But like, this is when he gets kind of creepy, like almost like in love with his mom. Like, I think they were telling him you're creepy, you're fucked up at this yeah, point, uh-huh. you've kind of gone off the deep end, but instead it just seems like he is, like, it's creepy. It's a little weird. It's a little sexual, his feel, his his looks when he talks about his mom and the way he holds his mom. Hey, what are you doing? Getting things ready for mom. Mom is dead, Jeff. You know that. She doesn't have to be. What we didn't talk about is that after Chase finds out what Gus did, he goes to confront Gus at his house. And here is when he he kills both Zowie and Gus. They get into a fight and he ends up shooting them. Like in the head. That's how he finally kills them. Because at first he shoots them and nothing happens. And then he ends up shooting them in the head. So by this point where Chase is confronting Jeff, his son, in the attic, and he's all dressed up waiting for his mom to come home, Gus and Zowie are already dead. Well, yeah, but uh, you also didn't mention the fact that he does ask him, you know, like, why did you do this to Gus? And Gus was like, because I wanted to fuck her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then also, yeah, he shoots him and he's like, ow, I hate it when that happens. And then he tries to lobotomize the father with a drill. Yes. No brain, no pain. Think about it. So, yeah, okay, so I am getting this a little bit out of order. He confronts Jeff upstairs, and that's when he gets the call to go to the cemetery. So, first of all, he knows that your kid told you that he's waiting for his mom to come back and that she doesn't have to be dead. And you know that Zowie was dead and then brought back to life. And you know this is a thing that can happen. And then you get a call and you're like, We'll talk about this more later. Put two and two the fuck together because the next thing you find out is that your wife's grave has been exhumed. Like, put the two things together and he really doesn't. And that's when he needs to go to, to, he confronts Gus and he kills Gus and Zowie. But meantime, upstairs, 
the housekeeper, housekeeper finds all this stuff laid out. And decides to put it on. Oh, it's just my size. Because she's kind of obsessed with this actress. I guess. Yeah. And when she does, and she's like, oh, I'm so beautiful. We hear the mom be like, you thought you could be as amazing as me. Uh-huh. But she also calls Marjorie by name. Marjorie. Like... Did you really think you could be like me? Yeah. How does she know Marjorie's name? It seems like they have a history. I mean, they come from the same small town. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. But it's weird that Marjorie wouldn't have said anything about it earlier. Yeah. uh Marjorie. Marjorie. (gasps) Jeff? (laughs) Did you really think you could be like me? We get all this ending stuff, and really, I just have this ending is ridiculous, and not in the way that I was enjoying. Because then it gets over the top, and it's almost like they felt like they had to have an action ending. Yeah, and bit. and it, it it felt very very unnecessary because Clyde shows up, the bully, as well, and now he's going to kill Jeff. And I get that. Yes, coming back to life makes you more murderous. I get that. But it just seems terribly convenient that all this is happening at the same exact time in the same exact place. It does lead to, so, like, the father is just like, we can't do this, like, this is bad, and he wants to kill his wife. But Edward Furlong, like I said, is super, like, has his head, like, on his wife, his mom's, like, boob, and I don't know, it's weird. It's a motherly thing. I guess, it's weird. It was, and his little look on his face, it's just very strange. But yeah, but then Clyde shows up. And so Edward Furlong has been defending his mother this whole time. Like, I don't care that he killed that bitch. I don't care that she's crazy. I don't care that she's, like, falling apart. I still want my mom. And then Clyde shows up, and he's going to kill the kid. And she begins to laugh. And that was probably one of the creepier things in the film. Like, that his mother is laughing as he's about to die. Yeah, so what happens is she's like, all right, kids, duke it out. And then she just locks them upstairs in the attic and sets it on fire. And there's more awful music during this whole scene. Uh And we can hear, like, the boys grunting off screen, but we don't actually see them fighting. It's really strange. So Jeff ends up killing Clyde by electrocuting him. Renee's like, no, we, you guys can't leave. We need to work this all out. And... I guess her goal is for them to die too, and then they'll be a dead family together. Which, going back to the Pet Cemetery remake, ugh, garbage. But so, yeah, because it's Edward Furlong who actually kills Clyde. He puts yeah, the wire in yeah. his mouth. Eat this asshole. Yes, yeah. And so Clyde's dead, Chase is knocked out, and Renee is like, let's stay together. Let's be I a family. I don't want to be alone. Yes. Come back. I and love so, you. Dead is better. Stay with me. And then it becomes a Because what's happening is Chef is dragging Chase out of the fire, his dad, out of the fire and leaving his mom behind, choosing his living father over his dead mom. And she's like, yes, dead is better. Stay with me. Dead is better. Dead is better. It's interesting that they distorted the definition of the catchphrase of the movie, which originally is dead is better, means when they die, leave them dead. (laughs) But what she is saying is that, oh, once you die, things are better. 
than being alive. So mm-hmm. I want to kill my loved ones. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's an interesting kind of inversion. But then she ends up that. getting like a demonic voice toward the end. And and she's being consumed by fire. So all of her, all of the makeup that they put on post-mortem for her burial starts like melting off. And where her face was electrocuted, that line just splits open. And it's a pretty great and gruesome effect, actually. Yes. Yes. It's kind of cool. But then at the end of the movie, we get like these portraits of all of the people who died in the film. And it's really weird. Yeah. The song that we get over the end credits is Poison Heart by the Ramones. So they did, they did the end credit song for this version of the movie, too. Interestingly, this is a, this is a fun little story. Apparently, the song was written by Dee Dee Ramone, who wasn't in the band anymore at the time. And he was arrested for something, and the band bailed him out of jail. And in exchange, he gave them this song, Poison Heart. And it's, it's just an interesting kind of backstory about it. So do you have any lightning round stuff? I, I covered everything. Me too. Yeah. What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 44? 24. Ah. No consensus. There's like 20-something reviews. A Metacritic of 35, but a cinema score of a B. <laughs> Interestingly, do you think this is overrated or underrated? Underrated, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But what would you give it? I'm going to give it a 60. That was exactly what I was going to give it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because it's not spectacular. It did just enough. For me to say I like it? Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> totally. yeah absolutely. I like it. But just, but just. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's absolutely not a 24. Are you kidding me? There are some reviews that talk about how it's... Oh, God, what was the one review? There was a review from... I think it was Variety that said, Pet Cemetery 2 is about 50% better than its predecessor, which is to say it's not very good at all. (laughs) Way harsh, Ty. That was way harsh, Ty. I fucking love the first one. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so it gets kind of mixed reviews. People are all like, it's actually, you know, surprisingly better than you might expect it to be. Oh, it's or, a million times yeah, better than uh-huh. I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But I could totally get why people are like, this movie is garbage. <laughs> I think a lot of it had to do with, number one, how weird and bizarre it was. I loved how weird it was. That's, yeah. what, that's what made me enjoy it. And and it's surprising level of quality because you think it's going to be utter trash. Yes. And it's not Yes. Surprisingly. But again, not good, <laughs> but just good enough. That's what I would say about this one. And it doesn't hurt that it's Edward Furlong. Exactly. All right, Kelsey, before we move on to our next film, horror trivia. Ready for another very easy question? Yep. What movie contains a scene in which a father chases his son around a hedge maze with an axe? The Shining. No shit. <laughs> All right, here you go, Kelsey. This is the next Stephen King sequel movie. Okay. Okay. Joe Weber is an anthropologist who takes his son on a trip to a New England town. Imagine that. Yeah. I cut out a large portion right here. Okay. When the inhabitants reveal their secret, they ask Joe to write a Bible for them. I think it's pretty clear I've never read or seen this one, but I would guess it's Needful Things. No. What if I gave you this little tidbit? The town, when they when they visit it, they're unaware that it is populated by vampires. Oh, Salem's Lot. Yes. 
This is a return to Salem's Lot. I have seen t- Salem's Lot. I'd oh, return yes, to Salem's sequel. Lot. Oh, I was like, I don't remember him writing a fucking Bible. Oh, that's why. They ask him to write a Bible for them. <laughs> so good. I, I kind of want to see it now. Mm-hmm. All right. Our next movie is 2019's It Chapter 2. Uh, based on, of course, the novel by Stephen King, written by Gary Doberman, directed by Andy Muschietti, starring Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, Bill Hader, and Bill Skarsgård. What is It Chapter 2 about? The kids from Derry come back as adults to deal with the clown 27 years later when he wakes from his sleep. You can buy it right now for $20. Sigh. It's supposed to be rentable tomorrow. Of course. No, as of the release of this episode. So this episode released on Monday the 9th. So it'll be available to rent tomorrow on the 10th. Keeping in mind that it is three hours long. Should people watch this? No. (laughs) Read the fucking book. Okay, okay, so... Everyone who listens to the show already knows that Kelsey is a stickler for the source material. And she gets upset when the adaptations disrespect the source material. We all know this. But I am telling you, (laughs) it is not good. It is awful. I liked the first one. (laughs) I feel like Kelsey begrudgingly... It was okay. Gave it an all right score. You gave it a 78, actually. I gave it an 85. It wasn't awful, but it was... I, I really liked it. Wasn't it... Wasn't nearly as good as the book. But, but this, this this is it is baffling. It is bad. Just it is just how bad. Ba- like we were watching it and two hours into it, Kelsey had to tap out. <laughs> She's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. We're gonna have to finish this tomorrow. And we did. We had to turn it off and finish the rest of it tomorrow. Like it is it is so long because obviously, very obviously. The the producers are like, oh, everyone loved the kids from the original, so we got to bring them back. It was originally supposed to be just kids and then adults. But now they incorporate the kids back into this movie again, and they all have their own new individual scares. So the center portion of the movie is just every one of the kids and every one of the adults get their own lone scares where they're by themselves. And it just takes up so much of the film. And they practically retell the original story over again with the kids. Turn it into a show. Turn it into a limited series. Just like they did in 1990? No. No. It needs to be an actual series. You cannot okay. do it in, what was that, three installments? Yeah. It needs two, to, I think. Yeah. It needs to be a series. You need to get into each character. And you can't separate them. As much as you want to, you can't separate the children from the adults. Because here's the thing. The adults part is not nearly as interesting as the it's kids really part, okay? And they that try is, to make this interesting and oh man. That is why Stephen King had them constantly going back and forth in time. Yeah. People, because you care more about the kids. It's scarier from the kids perspective. Yeah. Obviously. So Yeah, and it's it's also anyway, it they try to reincorporate the Native American mythology into it and that is something else and listen i am not a stephen king apologist like kelsey is 
I I think there's a lot of absolute trash in the It book. The smokehouse stuff is so stupid. It is so dumb. The ritual of Chud is dumb. And they bring it back in this one and they make it worse. They make it a lot worse, but so fucking much worse. how dare you? <laughs> it is. The book is amazing. They don't Except even for do the, the child sex house. scene. That's really the only part of it that I'm like, what the fuck is this shit, Steven? But the rest of the book is great, and I hate you right now. Anyway, don't watch it. No. Let us, like, watch the first one, and it's fine, and it's kind of just a complete story. And then you don't need to worry about it ever again, because this one will sour you on the first one, I think. So just do not watch it. You can take our advice or leave it. At your own peril. When we get back, we will talk about 2019's It, Chapter 2. Hello. We made an oath. If it ever comes back, it will come back too. Take it. It kills monsters. Would you believe it does? Kill this clown. Chapter 2. Rated R. Alright, Kelsey. Get us started. How does It Chapter 2 begin? Well, actually, it starts with a flashback. Okay. It opens on them as kids. Surprise, surprise. And they're, they just got out. And they're all making the promise that they'll come back. Yeah. And... Bev suddenly has the gift of sight and can see the future. And she says, we're all going to be here. Well, we know why. But she's... We learn eventually why she has that power. Oh, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Kids are asking her, like, oh, what do I look like? And she tells Richie that he'll grow into his looks. So then Stan asks, what do I look like? And she says, you look the same. Which we can tell by her face is a lie. Well, because he never... He's not in her vision. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. then we get an intro by Mike. It's such a stupid little intro monologue. Memory. It's a funny thing. People want to believe they are what they choose to remember. The good stuff. The moments places the people we all hold on to but sometimes sometimes we are what we wish we could forget I'm trying to remember it's really cheesy and it's like sometimes we are what we forget. Oh right. Oh god. The the voiceovers in this are terrible. Yeah, they and are. And they're inconsistent too. Because we don't have one voiceover character, you know, like one perspective character. So when you do get voiceovers, it's like everyone and it's a little messy. We're in the present and there is the dairy Well present. We're in, like, 2016, 2017 or something like that. Oh. Yeah, we're just a couple years in the past, technically. Uh, okay. Well, because 
it's 27 years from when the events of the first movie took place, which was released 27 years after those events were supposed to have taken place. So now that it's 2019 here, we're actually three years later than when this movie's events take. Anyway, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) It's at the carnival that Derry does every year. And this is straight out of the book. A gay man and his boyfriend are playing one of the games and they he wins like a unicorn gives it to the kid because he's a good person but it's really cute when he says here thanks for letting me win yeah that's really cute yeah and he's wearing this hat that says i love dairy and that again is also straight out of the book yeah it's a beaver hat well it's not supposed to be a beaver hat i don't know how much you care but (laughs) it is a hat this group of guys from dairy see this and they're all disgusted because they don't like gay guys and so they beat him up and then they throw him into the river off the bridge yes yeah it's different in that in the book they all see the clown whereas in the film it's only the gay guys that see the clown right which doesn't have any bearing on this version of the story it's just supposed to be that like Everybody kind of mentions a clown when they're being interviewed about what happened. Yeah. And the cops kind of keep ignoring it because what the fuck are they supposed to do with that information? Right. Well, it's also a carnival, so, you know. Right. But, like, they're like, he took a bite out of him and and then the cops are like, well, he has to be, ma- they have to be making that up because they don't want to get in trouble for all the damage they did to the guy. Right. But, in fact, it really was that the clown ate his arm. <laughs> But in this movie, we get none of the follow-up. It's just Mike sees that this happened, and he's like, oh, God, the clown is back. Mike, yeah. So Mike sees it, or Mike finds out what happened. Yes. And... It's one of, by the way, this is one of the things that a lot of people had a problem with this movie, because I forget the actual term, but it's like gay pain or something like that, where it shows gay people being punished. It might be gay punishment or something like that. It shows gay people who are attacked seemingly because they're either gay or gay coded, which allows audiences to experience the terror, but not feel like they're in any danger because, you know, there's a lot of that in this movie with this first scene, but then stuff that Stephen King didn't write, which we'll talk about later uh, about other gay characters who seem to be mocked or punished because they're gay. People are like, well, it's a little much. And this movie kind of doubles down on what was already in the book. We'll get to those parts. <laughs> uh, so when Mike shows up and sees what happened, there's graffiti that says, come home on the wall. Yeah. And that's kind of in the book. Um he does taunt them. He does want them to come back, even though it doesn't really make sense. Why would he want them to come back? Yes, it doesn't make any sense, especially since he goes after little kids because they're easier to scare and they taste better when they're frightened. Well, he does kill elderly people as well because they're easy to kill. Right. So why would he be asking for fully grown in the prime of their life adults who have already defeated him? To come back. Yeah, exactly. The book kind of makes it seem like his pride was hurt. Yeah. Which I guess is what they're insinuating. Sure. 27 years. <laughs> I dreamt of you. <laughs> I craved you. 
Oh, I missed you! <laughs> Mike! Move back! Waiting for this very moment. So Mike calls everybody to have them come back. And we talked in the last episode uh, that we where we covered the first it about who all the characters, uh, all the little kid characters wanted to play their older versions of themselves. And Finn said Bill Hader, and that's who plays him. Uh, Sophia Lillis, who is Bev, she said Jessica Chastain, and that's who plays her. She was the first one who was cast. Surprisingly, my favorite actress of the the movie. Surprisingly. Uh, And she recommended James McAvoy, apparently because he recommended her for X-Men Dark Phoenix. And I don't know why she would reward him for that, because... By all accounts, that movie is garbage. Uh, (laughs) Well, he didn't exactly do great in this movie. He didn't. He didn't. Chosen Jacobs, who plays uh, young Mike, said Chadwick Boseman, who couldn't do it because he was wrapped up in his Marvel contract as the Black Panther. Jack Dylan Grazer, who plays Eddie, said Jake Gyllenhaal. That obviously never happened. Why Olaf? Well, who the plays... guy that they picked for Eddie looks a lot like him. He really does, and he's a he's an, I think he's they did an acceptable actor. I think they did a very good job, even with James McAvoy to an extent, of casting people who look like the young kids. Bill Hader doesn't look anything like Finn Wolfhard. Well, with the glasses and the hair he has, I think he does. But anyway, why Olaf? Who plays Stanley? Said Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Which obviously didn't happen. Why would he play such a small role? Exactly. Uh, Jeremy Ray Taylor said, who was uh, Ben Hanscom, said Chris Pratt. That obviously didn't end up being the case. And Jaden Martell, who plays Bill, said Christian Bale. And they're all like, all these people are all like in their late 30s, early 40s or something like that. Um, But anyway, the only ones who actually got their way were uh, Richie, who said Bill Hader, and Bev, who said Jessica Chastain. Now we get the segment where Mike is calling up each one of these people to tell them, okay, it's time. You got to come back. Remind them that they made this promise because they don't remember and then convince them to come home. So the first person he calls is Bill, who has a wife for no reason. Yeah, because she doesn't factor into the movie at all. Yeah, we will never see or hear about her ever again. Uh huh. Who, by the way, was played by Olivia Hussey in the TV miniseries, who we know as being the name yeller from Black Christmas <laughs> and the loud phone answerer. Hello? <laughs> Pardon? Bob? Phil? Anyway. Answer me! We love Olivia Hussey. <laughs> yeah, this character is just a non-factor throughout the entire movie. By the way, the guy who's directing his script... Bill's script is Peter Bogdanovich, who's an actual director. He directed The Last Picture Show, Paper Moon, and probably more personal to us, uh, Noises Off. Noises Off is a good one. It is. But so is The Last Picture Show. They're doing the whole setup of the fact that Bill became a famous author and that his books are being turned into films. But nobody likes the ending. That's going to be a running joke throughout Which the whole thing. Which is a joke about Stephen King. A lot of his endings do kind of suck. Well, that's that's the point. Is yes, he also actually says when we meet him later because he has a cameo in this. He says that Bill's endings suck. Yes, <laughs> so he knows. Mm-hmm. Then we see Eddie, who has married 
a fat lady just uh, played by the same actress who played his mother in the first film. Molly Atkinson, yeah. I mean, like, could they be more clear about it? He right. even fucking says, I love you, mommy, to uh-huh. her. <laughs> and it's just like, fucking, seriously? <laughs> but that won't really come into play much at all either. It really won't. And then we meet Bill Hader. That's Richie. He's become a stand-up comedian. And he bombs on stage because he gets the phone call right before he goes on stage. And he's in a theater. He's performing in a theater. So obviously people bought tickets to see him. And when he says at the very beginning, oh, I forgot the joke. Somebody yells, you suck from the audience. It's like, you paid to see him. Yeah. He's not going to have random people in his audience. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like a night at the improv or anything like that. Yeah. I agree. It was a little it was a little forced and a little ridiculous. Uh Also, later he says, like, I don't write my own material. Uh Uh-huh. And I think it's Eddie goes, I knew it. Right. But so my is that an implication that most comedians don't write their own comedy? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think it's just Eddie. It's weird, especially because Richie was funny. Like, that's the point. So what are they trying to say by the fact that he doesn't write his own jokes? Yeah. Are they saying that, I don't know, his encounter with it took away his humor? (laughs) No, because he makes jokes throughout the whole film. Right. Anyway, we get Ben Hanscom. Yes. So Ben, we get to see, still has the signed paper from his yearbook by Bev sitting in his wallet Uh when he's talking to people and he's a... High-ranking architect, just like he is in the book. Yeah, someone who is able to talk to his clients uh, via teleconference while he's sitting in his luxurious home. He doesn't have to be there. He can tell them what they want as opposed to asking them what they want. And he can just leave the call whenever he wants to. Like, that's how powerful and and in-demand an architect he is. Yes, and of course, the famous thing is that Ben loses all the weight when he becomes... When he gets into high school. And so now he's this good looking guy. And then they'll bring that up later in the film and they'll make it seem like he did it all to impress Bev. Yeah. Which kind of pisses me off because it makes it seem kind of. Well, it feeds into the creepiness factor. Yes. Of Ben. That will be throughout the entire film. He seems like such a fucking creeper. In this movie. But you're just supposed to give him a pass because he's sexy now. Right. Like, okay, so in the first film. I loved how they handled it. They handled it just like he does in the book. Um, he recognizes I'm I'm not the attractive one. I am not the leader. So, of course, he's going to fall in love with Bill, right? right? And he kind of accepted that. And, yeah, it sucks. He resigns sucks, himself to it, yeah. But, like, he, yeah, he resigned to it. You know, he just kind of accepted it. Whereas in this movie, he is just constantly staring at Bev uh-huh. and giving Bill dirty looks. Uh-huh. And like uh, Pennywise will at some point taunt him with the fact that it doesn't matter how many sit-ups you do, she'll never love you. And it's just like, so that's what this is supposed to be? That his entire life he's been obsessed with this girl I that he might it. not ever see again in I, his life? I think that's it. I think that's legitimately it. Like, how pathetic is that? Well, it's also a little weird because weren't they supposed to forget all those times? Exactly. Yeah, so... But no, let's take that away from Mike, too. Yeah. <laughs> they do Mike real dirty in this movie. They always do. Anyone who wants to say it's not because he's black... How? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. But in any case, Ben gets the call 
and then the camera kind of goes outside his penthouse or whatever his his uh, his luxury home on the hills and tilts up into the sky so we see the stars and then it zooms in on the stars and it's really actually the underside of a puzzle that's being done over a glass table and that transition is actually really cool i like that it's very neat that's how we get introduced to stanley he's doing a puzzle when he gets his call we don't get like much of anything that's happened to stan uh... Who, by the way looks a lot yeah, he he's does. probably he probably looks the most like his his younger. He probably character. only got the part because he looks just like because he didn't need to act or anything. Yeah, he has like <laughs> a total of two scenes, and the second scene should not be in the movie. So here we meet Stan. He's talking on the phone, and he's just like, "I don't know if I can come back." And Mike says, "You have to." And so he ends up doing what he does in the book, which is slitting his wrists in the bathtub, and he writes it up on the wall. But the problem with that is, is that it's such a nothing scene that, like, it doesn't matter to you. Like, I guess they're they're banking on the fact that you liked Stan from the first movie, so now you're sad, but it's like you've turned him into a new character here. He's an adult now. You need to make me like him as a person. But, yeah. like, we don't get to find out anything about who he is as an adult. All we know is he's still scared Stanley. And well, kills himself. I mean, that's the thing. We see Stanley a couple more times in the movie, and it's always the little kid version. Yeah. So we see him in the past a lot, and then we see him in the present, but he's the little kid version still. So it's like we we don't identify with the older version of him at all. And you're right. It kind of, kind of drops the ball there. And then we get Bev, and she has her abusive relationship just like she does in the book. Except for the fact that it never enters into the story in any meaningful way at all. No, and it becomes he he's like not a threatening guy. Like, yeah, he he gets mad, like they get in an argument, but like it's she just nothing beats the like shit the book. Out of him and yeah, then she leaves. It's he's not threatening really. He he shouts at her, You're nothing without me. It's like that's it. Yeah. And like, I think she hits him, like, a couple times. He hits her a couple times. But it's, like, nothing. Not to diminish people who are in abusive relationships. No, absolutely. But traumatizing the, that can be. But, but the book makes it... Again, you get to hear about their history. Right. You get to hear about their relationship. It puts relationship. it all in context. Whereas and it informs here, how it changes Bev as a character and a person. Yeah, here it's just like, you cheated on me. And it's just like... Right. No, I didn't. And then she leaves. Yep. <laughs> and that's all. That's yep. all that is. Uh-huh. Okay, then why include it? <laughs> why include it? Good question. So the Losers Club reunites. They all go to Derry. None of them remember, at least clearly, what's going on. We also see Bowers for no fucking good reason. Right. We get to see Bowers as an adult in the mental hospital. And he sees a balloon outside and he's, and he's excited. On the yeah. He's he's no longer I guess they really didn't make him afraid of him in the first film, so you wouldn't expect that, but he's supposed to be terrified of Pennywise. Right. The only way that Pennywise can get him to do what he wants him to do is by bringing back Belch Huggins. In the book, he is a semi sympathetic character, right? Like he feels like he has to do what he's doing because he's so terrified. In the movie, it's, oh, yay, I get to kill people again. Yeah. Like, and you're like, oh, no, he's just 
he's not an interesting character at all anymore. No. And instead of bringing back Belch, they bring back Patrick Hockstetter. Because he's the more memorable from the from the original movie. I guess. But then they make him afraid of Patrick Hockstetter a little bit, which is uh-huh. funny because the whole reason they bring in Belch is so that he's not afraid. Right. It's just, it's, it's just, it's just filled with stupid shit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little funny because... Like when he does eventually escape, which he will, Hockstetter shows up in a car and he's kind of his head's kind of lolling around with the momentum of the car. And it's funny, Hockstetter takes him to Derry, but then just nothing happens with Hockstetter ever again in the movie. He, they just drop him entirely. They do use him as a jump scare for when he right. comes to Bowers inside the mental hospital Under he, do- the he does the same thing that Pennywise did in the first movie when he comes across the floor and he's like and moving yeah. really fast and that's supposed <laughs> to be scary for some reason uh-huh. and it's just so fucking dumb so anyway they all meet at this Chinese restaurant and Mike tells them or reminds them uh, what happened And at first, we're thinking, oh, we're not going to get the fortune cookie stuff. But then they open up their fortune cookies and they all have one word written on them. And And it takes Bill the writer to make a sentence out of it. Well, they're really confused until Bev reveals the fact that hers says Stanley. And then they can all put the whole real sentence together. And it says, like, guess Stanley couldn't cut it or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. They're all like, oh, God. And we're like, that's what they're doing with the fortune cookies. And nope, nope. They're still doing the monsters as well. And we but do get kind of like semi-accurate. Like two of them. But then the others aren't. And they're just weird. It's just supposed to be creepy. Yeah. There, there's like an it, eyeball with the tentacles, which actually is kind of cool. There's right. One that but has you a don't know wing. why Richie would be afraid of an eyeball. Right. Because they don't explain any of that. Right. None of it has an actual connection to any of the characters. It's just, oh, the fortune cookies turn into monsters. Anyway, and there's kind of a funny moment where they're all screaming, it's not real. And Mike is slamming the chair on the table to kill these fortune cookie monsters. And in comes the waitress and she's just staring. And, and then she they just walks away like it's no big deal that you just yeah. destroyed our property. This is a big problem with the movie is that Derry is not a real place that's lived in. no. It's like empty town. Yeah, there's there's one moment where the people who live there are actually important in any way, and that's when Richie is outside the amphitheater, and in the background, they all kind of stop and turn and look at him, and that's a little creepy, but that's the only time where there are, like, people in Derry that have any sort of, like, impact. There's individuals, like uh, What's-Her-Face, who's actually it. Mrs. Kirsch. Mrs. Kirsch. There's the little kid who Richie yells at here. This little kid comes up to him and is like, I know you. And he's like, get the fuck away from me. And he like screams at him and it's kind of funny. And it turns out, no, he's, he's just a fan <laughs> of him as a comedian. And the parents are like, let's go get away from this guy. I don't think I like you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of a funny moment. Hey, Richie. How'd you know my name? The fun's just beginning. Right? You must think this is funny, right? Think it's some sort of game, huh? Well, fuck you, all right? Rich, be careful, dude. Fuck you! I'm not afraid of you! The fun's just beginning. The line from your act, dude. I'm a fan. Are those your parents? Yeah. You want a picture? You okay, Dean? I think I'm good. Come on. Okay, cool. Good kid. 
Does Richie don't remember the line from her own show? I don't write my own material. I fucking knew it! I fucking knew it! Throughout this whole process, like, I know there's a lot of setup that needs to be done, and it is a long movie, but it still feels like everything is just moving so fast. And they don't sit or dwell or contemplate on anything. Mm -mm. It's just thing happens, thing happens, thing happens, thing happens. And then the movie is still three hours long. Mm -hmm. Also, we find out that Eddie is a risk analyst, which is a little on the nose. Well, it's also weird because, like, he's supposed to be a limo driver because his his ability is directions. (laughs) Right. Which they they never use in any way, shape, or form. Everyone wants to kind of leave... And they find out that Stanley died. Oh, right. Yes. And so they're like, basically, fuck all this. Yeah. And so everybody wants to leave. And Mike is like, but people will die if we leave. And Richie says, people die every day. I remembered I grew up here like two hours ago, so I don't give a shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, fuck this town. (laughs) And really, kind of. They never really address that because a little bit fuck this town. Like the people that they show in this town, except for this kid, are like fucking awful. Well, because they've been tainted by it. Sure. But like, I have no personal connection. Why am I risking my life for this town? And that's when Bev comes in and says, well, because if you don't, you're going to die. I've seen it. And how do you see it? Oh, she's the only one who saw the deadlights. And so she can kind of see the future now, which apparently is that supposed to imply that it has that power too? I don't know because it's it doesn't make any sense because if it can tell the future, then what does it matter if she can see it or not? If you're going to die, you're going to die. Right. Well, it, well they're going to die if they change. leave. Now yeah. we can change that, I guess, because fate is right. meaningless. So but, then why did fate come into the story in the first but where place? Where has there ever been an implication that it can see the future? Well, if you're telling me that she can look into the deadlights and the deadlights tell her that they're all going to die and he has access to the deadlights, he can see the future. That's what I'm saying. But in the movie, it never says that he can. There's never a demonstration of that. That's my point. So, like, since when were the deadlights able to see the future? Also, I love that that's the only reason they're going to stay. It's like, well, you're going to die. It's like, oh, fuck. I don't want to die. I guess I'll stay. Yeah. And she doesn't tell Eddie that he's going to die if he stays. Yeah. Meanwhile, at a football game, Uh a young girl is bored and she wanders under the bleachers where Pennywise is hiding. And he is like, oh, we must be friends. And she's like, you're not my friend. If you were my friend, why would you be hiding in the dark? And so she turns to leave. Smart little girl. Uh Uh-huh. But then Pennywise starts to cry. And he's just like, silly old Pennywise, you'll never have any friends. All people ever do is make fun of me because of the way I look. That's why I hide in the dark. And And then she stops and turns because she has a big um, birthmark on her face. And so she's like, people make fun of me, too. I won't make fun of you. Let's be friends. And Pennywise promises he can take the scar off her face really easily. And it's like, okay, well, if this kid was actually smart, she'd know, okay, well, then Pennywise, why don't you... Change your appearance, too. Yeah. And then you wouldn't be made fun of and you wouldn't have to be in the dark. But whatever. That's fine. She's a little kid. And he goes, one, count to three. One, two, and then long pause. She says, you're supposed to say, bite. Yes. And then he bites her and she screams, but it just happens to be at the exact moment that everyone's cheering. And so nobody hears her. 
Okie dokie. Just come on in a little closer and we'll blow it away on the count of three. <laughs> One. Two. You're supposed to say three. So, that happens meanwhile. Then, Mike and Bill go to the library, which is where Mike lives. And he tells Bill, I have to show you something. And so he gets him a drink, and he shows him this Shakopee artifact, I guess you could say. It's like say. an urn. Yeah, and it has drawings on it. Uh, and we only see three of the four sides, ominously. He tells him about the ritual of Chud. And we don't get a real let's, clear definition of what the ritual of Chud is. Let's talk about this for a moment. Okay. Everybody, be aware that there is a movie called Chud. Yes. Which I didn't know. And then I saw it. Uh, and there are a lot of similarities between this film Chud and the book It. There's a lot of, especially at the beginning, there's a lot of similarities. So Stephen King made this whole ritual thing up, the ritual of Chud, because I think it's him recognizing that, hey, I did get a lot of ideas from this other film called Chud. Now, if you want to see it, it's actually kind of funny. It's kind of interesting. I enjoyed it. It stands for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. Yes. (laughs) Which, just listening to that title, sounds a lot like Pennywise. Yeah, so there's a monster. There are monsters in the sewers that eat people. Yeah. Anyway, so in my opinion, he called it that just because of the film. You think so? Yes. When did it, the book, come out? After the movie. Because the movie's 84. Yeah, I think the book came out 86. You're right, 86. So that's where just the word comes from, okay? On top of that, in the book... And remember, it's supposed to be like Native American ancient stuff, but it's supposed to be where if you come in, if you come in contact with an evil spirit, you like hammer each other's nails and tell riddles until the other person laughs or something like that. You bite each other's tongues. Something like that. And they, in the book, they kind of do it and it's actually really interesting. And there was a moment in this film where I thought, oh my God, they're going to do it. They get really close. You think they're about to go into what's the place called? The I don't know what. It yeah, calls they go it. like into the netherworld or whatever, and Richie gets taken in there, and so Richie Bill and has Bill, to go in after him. Richie and Bill go in, and then ends up being Eddie that brings them back out. Yeah, but anyway, they don't do any of that in the film, even though they get you really they get excited. So close, <laughs> and then they don't do it. I mean, I wouldn't have even given a fuck if it had looked really stupid. I would have been. Ex- I would have been impressed that they tried. But they didn't. Yeah. So So the ritual of Chud in this movie, it's Chud because it has an umlaut over the top of it, is effectively the individuals in the group gather artifacts that are important to them that are somehow selected by the universe. It's unclear why. It's very, very dumb. In the book. They collect it. They put it together. They burn the stuff. And then they chant. And then it kills it. It's supposed to bring it into the urn and trap it there. Yeah. uh 
But now why they did that is because in the book they do all go off into their own individual stories. Uh-huh. But the reason they do that is because Mike says you don't remember what happened to you. I think it would be valuable for each of us to go off into our own childhood history and f- remember what happened. Right. It's not about finding a specific artifact. Nothing to yes. do with that bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So why would Bill believe Mike when he's talking about this crazy ritual well, and the Shakopee Because instead of going into, well, they show you the smoke hole. Which was in this version made by the Native Americans. I said smokehouse prior to the 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 trailer. Smoke hole, yes. In the book, it's actually in their their own little underground clubhouse. Clubhouse, which yeah. they do bring they up. They do in, this in the film. movie. I was very surprised. But so in the film, it's supposed to be oh, this is what the Native Americans did, and then you find out that Bill's drink was drugged. Yes. <laughs> and so he sees all this stuff, and that's why he ends up believing Mike. So what Mike had done is he had gone to the Shakopee and had a vision with them, did their drugs, and had a vision about how to stop it, because that's because he's following up on all this research he did, and there are legends in the Shakopee Native American tribe, uh, where they have this ritual, which why the Native Americans would have a word with an umlaut on it, I'm not entirely clear. Maybe they do. I don't know. <laughs> they had confronted it in the past, I guess. For for a long time, they've and been through, warriors against it. And through a really dumb looking animation sequence of like a wolf that was like a, it was like, they're trying to tell you the history of it. And like, he came down as like a bird and then turned into a wolf. Yeah. The whole hallucination scene that Bill has is a little bit much. It reminded me of the animation from like nine and mirror mask. And it looks really silly. Okay. Yeah. Uh I don't know why filmmakers are so afraid to say that he is just a dimensional creature. Like, I don't know why that, that is so hard for them. Well, they do show that he did come down in... As a bird. At, in, in a meteor. No, when they go to his lair, what you see is the impact of this of this meteor. And it's like cracked open and that's what he climbed out of it. So they do say he comes from somewhere else. Mm. Maybe not directly, but still, they do say it. Bill is first pissed at Mike because he laced his, his drink, but then Bill sees everything he needs to see and now he trusts Mike. Whatever. But so, here's the thing, guys. If they have a way of capturing Pennywise. Why is Pennywise not captured? And that comes up later. It's fucking stupid. So now that Mike has Bill's support, they both approach the group and they're like, okay, here's the ritual. We all got to find our personal items from our past that are our artifacts. And then we'll bring them all together. So everyone, go. It's like, What? Also, like, there's this, like, moment where they're all walking through the town and there's all this trash blowing around and, like, no one else is out there. And you're like, what's happening? Yeah. What is this scene? Like, did the entire town just disappear except for them? Also, these are kind of smaller scenes, but Henry Bowers escapes, which we kind of already talked about, with Hockstetter. We get a scene from the past where they go to the smoke hole, which the reason it's called the smoke hole uh, we never actually get to, but there's this little clubhouse that Ben built underground, in a pit. Yeah, they make the it woods. huge in the movie. Uh huh. And in the book, it's just this little like round thing uh-huh. under underground. <laughs> and we learn that 
when they visit that in the past and in the present, we learn that Stanley got everyone shower caps so they wouldn't get bugs or dirt in their hair when they were in there. And so we find out later that somebody, I can't remember who, grabbed one of the shower caps as Stanley's artifact. Yeah. So now this is where everyone goes off on their own and has their own little adventures, starting with Bev. Bev goes to her old home and finds that there's a woman living there now. In the book and in the in the miniseries, she sees her dad's last name, so she rings the bell. This woman answers and is like, no, he died a long time ago. And she looks back at the name on the bell, and it's Kirsch and not Marsh. She's like, oh, I wonder why I thought it said Marsh. And that's because Pennywise is fucking with you. <laughs> and she goes inside, and I, I love this old lady as a human. When she just kind of sits there still for a long time, like that, when in the background, when uh, Bev is looking at all the, the photographs and she kind of like peeks her head out from the dark kitchen and then she runs across naked, like, that's fun. I like that. That's good. They do it too too much. But then- They do background stuff too much. They just, did they do the tea thing? I remember them having it in the trailer and I remember it being in the book where like the tea is actually shit. They didn't do it in the movie. Yeah, I didn't think so. And there's an implication that this old lady is actually the son of Pennywise. And so then- Which, in the story, she says that, but it's a joke. Like, it's not- Yeah, it's not real. Yeah. But they kind of hint that it may be real in this. Yeah. Which just confuses the origin of it. Completely confuses it. But then she comes stomping out, and she's like this gangly, titswagon, big-eyed monster. And she looks ridiculous. It's it's really bad. It's ridiculous. It's awful CGI. Mm -hmm. And- threatens Bev and then Bev runs into a room and she sees Bill Skarsgård putting clown makeup on which again confuses what it is and the origin of it mm-hmm. and then the old lady comes after her again and then Bev runs away having while the old woman was making them tea found the old love letter mm-hmm. in a hidden compartment in like the siding of the house or whatever your hair is winter fire, January, January embers. embers. My, my heart, heart burns, burns there, there too. too. That'll be brought up a lot in this movie. Yes. <laughs> okay. So then we get a flashback sequence of Richie's as a kid at the arcade. And he's having fun with this other kid who we don't know. Ends up being Bauer's cousin. Yeah. And he's a little too eager like hey don't go stick around i want to hang out yeah and you can tell that the cousin wants to stay too right but then bowers shows up and he's like get away from me fag yes it's a little awkward the way that richie acts well because i'm a little out of character for him i don't think the implication is that he's actually gay i think he just liked hanging out with that kid and maybe it would have turned into a romantic relationship but at first he just wanted to hang out with him it doesn't have to be sexual no but but then but then and this is what the movie does to it it undermines that by actually making him gay yeah which is fine if you want to make richie gay that's totally fine but they they make that his weakness and how they attack him throughout the whole thing is by making fun of the fact he's gay and that he has this dark secret and that he needs to be punished for it. And there's never really a moment where it's like, yes, I'm gay and that's okay and I feel better about myself. There's a small moment at the end where he admits who he loves, but only to himself. 
And it just, it adds to that whole gay punishment thing. His artifact is... Well, a token. Get it? It's literally a token. Just so fucking stupid. So when they say, oh, did you bring your tokens? And he, he like, I got a real token. They're like, that's not going to burn. But so he, <laughs> he's sitting outside of the arcade in front of the Paul Bunyan statue. Yeah. And this is when we get a flashback sequence to when he was a kid and how it came to life and came after him. And it which... comes after him with not an axe. It's Paul <laughs> Bunyan. <laughs> And it doesn't come after him with an axe. It comes after him with the the poker from the wrought iron fence from the Niebold house. At, le- at first, I thought it was a fire poker, but I think ultimately it's that wrought iron fence pointed piece that okay. they stab his head with, that Bev stabs his head with in the Niebold house in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Because then it comes back later at the end and they have it and... She convinces Eddie that it kills monsters if she if he believes it does, ah. which ties back into his inhaler later on in the miniseries and in the book. Anyway, he uses it in this one, too. but he doesn't I think have they make fun of him for using it. I think so. But he doesn't have an axe. He's Paul <laughs> fucking Bunyan and they don't give him an axe. But I actually did not mind this sequence. I actually thought they no, did a pretty bad. good job. Yeah, like I said, the creepy thing when when all the people that are in that amphitheater behind him just turn and stare at him, but they're just in the background. Overused. They do it too much. No, but it's just in the background. It's not like the whole the whole movie stops to show us that. It's not like that scene in John Wick 2 that is just god awful. I love John Wick. Awful scene. <laughs> Then we get to see Bill Hader as an adult, and he ends up seeing Pennywise sitting on the shoulder of Paul Bunyan. Now, I think this was a really cool shot visually. It was. Even when I saw it in the trailer, I was like, that's interesting and that's cool looking, but it's not scary. I know your secret, dirty little secret. It's not scary. They have turned Pennywise into a joke in this film. Yeah, very, very much so. At one point when they're all somewhere in some room and it's all dark, Bill Hader is in the dark and he pretends to be them. He's like, hey, guys, or something. Yeah. Like He says something that the clown said in the first film. Hey, losers. Time to float. Fuck, Richard. <laughs> Dude, remember you used to say that shit? You do that little dance. Am I the only one to remember this shit? Are you going to be like this the entire time we're home? All right, just trying to add some levity to this shit. I'll go fuck myself. And they're like, oh! And then Bill Hader comes out and it's a big joke. Yeah. And that is how I feel they treated Pennywise this entire fucking movie. And He's nothing but a fucking joke. Ultimately, that's how they defeat him yeah but he's never really like an honest to god threat you feel because the movie undermines him throughout the running time exactly and that there's also the thing that doesn't make sense where when when they were kids and he wanted to scare them and not kill them because the more scared they are the better they taste and he has this overabundance of confidence and that that's what gets him in trouble right in this movie, now they're adults, they're as dangerous as they could possibly be, and all he wants to do is get revenge and kill them, and yet he does the same thing where he just goes, boo, and he doesn't kill them. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense now. Yeah, and it's very, it's insulting to people who really enjoy the book, because the only reason they are able to get away from him 
in the book is because he either gets interrupted or because they band together against him. Yeah. That's why he needs to go after each of them individually. He can't take on a group. And so... And that that doesn't enter into it either. I don't think once they mention the fact that he seems to be going after them when they're alone, so that's why they need to band together. They do say that they're stronger together and they can't accomplish this unless they're together, but they don't bother to explain that's why he's going after them individually. Exactly. But like I said, the only reason he ever doesn't get to kill them in the book is because... Something happens. Something happens that stops it. Yeah. It's not just that he decides, not gonna eat ya. Yeah, uh uh-huh. It's so fucking dumb. Yeah. Anyway, so Richie's token is the arcade token from his past when I think he realized that he was gay. And it, it's in that past that he goes to that bridge and carves R plus and we don't see what the plus is. So now we have Bill. Who, Bill? Yeah. Okay, so Bill finds his childhood bicycle silver by happenstance, serendipity, in the window of an antique shop. Well, that's where it is in the book. But in the book, he only goes to that shop because he runs into a kid and he he rides on their their skateboard and and he asks them, "What's your favorite place to go to?" And in she or he or she says, "Secondhand rows, secondhand clothes." And that's where that's where he goes now. But here, he just happens to walk by. Yeah, and I also kind of like the story from the miniseries where Mike found it and realized how important it was, and so he kept it. Like I like that idea too, but that doesn't happen. But ultimately, it doesn't fucking matter because Silver plays zero role in the movie, and they waste an entire scene where he tries to buy it off of Stephen King, who is the antique shop owner. Yes, yeah, I totally forgot about that. You're absolutely right. He doesn't even fucking. He rides it like once, once to to where he actually finds his artifact. By the way, there is a license plate on the wall in the antique shop, which is. CQB241, that is a license plate for Christine. So there's a little Christine reference in here. He asked for $300 for the bike. That's how much George LeBay says the Christine costs. $300. That's what he asked for originally. Interesting. Yeah. That bike used to be mine. Well, it's mine now. But you're the big author. You want it. You can afford it. All right, how much? 300. So, Mr. LeBay, how much do you want for it? I've been asking 300. You can afford it. I'll get it. I guess that's kind of a deal. You uh, want me to sign it for you? Nah, I didn't like the ending. This is also, I saw this little fun fact, but it's undermined greatly. It's the first film adaptation of a Stephen King novel with a cameo by the author since Thinner in 1996. And I said, what? Seriously? That can't be true, can it? <laughs> and I'm looking it up and, oh, no, wait, there's the Shining remake where he's the conductor. Yeah. There's Rose Red where he's the pizza guy. Yeah. There's Under the Dome where he's in the diner. These are all TV shows. And so don't technically count towards this little trivia fact. Oh, okay. It's the first film adaptation. Mm. How many film adaptations has he had since 1996, though? Oh. They're all on TV. I'm just saying. (laughs) 
Uh, so Bill is riding his bike now because he convinces Stephen King to sell it to him for like 300 bucks or whatever. And he he rides past where Georgie was the storm taken. drain where Georgie was taken. So he goes down there to yell at Pennywise in the in the drain. He's not there, but he's just yelling at and him. And he starts to leave. And then Pennywise calls back and it's like, do you want to know why I took him? Because that's one of the things Bill was asking. And he's like, because you weren't there, Bill. Why him? Why him? Why him? Why him? Why? Because you weren't there, Billy. (laughs) I kind of like this. Why? A little bit because they're all kind of carrying around some sort of guilt or shame with them. Yet he already had guilt. Why do you add to it? What guilt do you think he had? He he felt guilty. So. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the fact that it's not that he was sick and he couldn't be there. It's because he faked it. Mm-hmm. With his brother. In this movie, they say he could have gone and he just didn't want to, so he told him no. And that's why he feels so guilty. That, you're right, is absolutely unnecessary. Why? There was enough, there was enough guilt just him feeling like he wasn't there for his brother. Exactly. They didn't need to add on the fact that he dismissed his brother. Didn't want to go. Right. I didn't want to hang out with you, so that's why you died. I mean, he made the boat. They varnished the boat. Like, he he loved his brother. It makes no But he was sick sense. and couldn't go out in the rain. Like, yeah, it was totally unnecessary. But he reaches in and he it was grabs. Like, it was like they felt their audience was too stupid to understand why a kid would feel guilty over uh-huh, the fact that he, he was. Something he couldn't control. Something he couldn't control. And that's the point. He's supposed to get over the fact that he couldn't. It, this was not his fault. But they make it not actually his fault, but a little bit more his fault than what the original story is for no reason. (laughs) So anyway, he he ends up reaching in and pulling out the boat. And that's his artifact. And this is where he sees that kid from the Chinese restaurant again. And then he tells the kid, like, be careful. Don't, like, fucking go anywhere near the storm drain Tell me you understand. And he just yells at the kid. It's kind and he shakes him. And it's kind of ridiculously funny. It is oh, way over the top. But you, and the you, kid's like, I'm supposed to be at the festival. <laughs> you, you skipped the part where the kid does say, because at first he says something like stay away from the drains or whatever. Uh-huh. That's all he's going to say. And the kid goes, sometimes I hear voices. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's when he's like, oh my God, stay the fuck away. Stay yes. away. Get uh-huh. out of this fucking town. And that's when the kid's like, I gotta go. So like <laughs> I said, this is the same kid that Richie yelled at. And I wrote down in my notes. So he's either Pennywise or he's having a really fucked up past two days. <laughs> adults screaming at him. <laughs> Who are you talking to? You hear voices from that store. You stay away from it. You hear voices from the sewer? No. No, just just stay away from that sewer. I only hear voices in the tub. You know, from the drain. What kind of voices? Kids and other times, like a... Like a clown. You listen to me? You listen good. You need to get out of this town. All right, tell your parents, make up a reason. You make up a fucking lie. I don't care what you do. Just get out of this town. Make them never bring you back. Do you understand? You leave Derry and you stay out of Derry. Do you understand me? It's supposed to be the festival. Tell me you understand! 
It's supposed to be the festival. I, I gotta go. Don't worry, it gets worse for this kid. <laughs> so that's Bill. Then we get to see Ben. So Ben goes to the high school. Or the elementary school, because he... Oh, middle school? Oh, no, yeah, middle school, because they were because they made them older. You're yeah, right. Uh-huh. And we're supposed to think... Well, I guess no, I guess it is a memory. I don't fucking know if this really happened or not. So everything that happens in the flashbacks is happening because it's right after Richie and Bill get in that argument and the the Losers Club splits up. And now they're isolated, they're not banded together, they don't have the support of each other, and so it is trying again to pick them off. So it's kind of in the middle of the first movie. So... Before they reband and defeat it, but after they break up and stories that they just never talked about before this. But it's fucking dumb because Ben is at summer school. Yeah. Why would Ben be in summer school? He's, right, he's a, the smartest a kid. kid. The, yeah. Like what? But so he's at summer school and Bev is there, but then Bev turns into the clown. Yes. And then talking about how her hair is winter fire, her head catches flames. Oh, that's right. It's a really bad effect. And she says, kiss me, fat boy. Uh Uh-huh. Which Which is from the the TV miniseries. Yes. Kiss me, fat boy. Which is because it's the joke that Ben thinks. Is that you in there or is it the cloud? But it doesn't make any sense in this version. Well, he wants to. Make out with Bev. Kiss me, fat boy. <laughs> Kiss me, fat boy. But right before Pennywise is about to eat him, the janitor shows up, which is how it's supposed to work. Yes. Uh-huh. It's the one time they did it right. Yeah. What happens to adult Ben? Do you do you know what scare does he get? I don't know. I don't remember. It obviously didn't stick with us. But he realizes that his token is that yearbook page that he keeps in his wallet. Yes. The one that Bev signed and was the only one who signed. Then we get Eddie. Eddie. So Eddie goes to get his prescription refilled, which is kind of what happens in the original. This scene is so fucking dumb. It. Oh, my God. Wait for it. Just wait for it. So... He talks to the same guy, the the creepy pharmacist guy from the last movie. And he like Except grabs him and like says he has cancer. Yeah, that could be cancer. And it's like this this slapsticky comedy kind of moment. It's not scary at all. They tried to make the movie a little too funny, I think. Yes. And it really diffuses all the scares. Yeah. Any sort of dread is taken totally out of the movie. Yeah. But he ends up going downstairs. Into the basement where his mother is being held captive. Yeah. And then he, like, goes to save her, but, like, Pennywise is going to kill her. And then he runs away. As the leper. And, like, leaves her there. And, like, there's this part where the leper grabs him and, like, vomits all this black Projectile vomit really fast. And then they play, just call me Angel. Which I don't know where that's coming from. But and it only plays for, for like two for fucking seconds. Second. For like two seconds. And then and it's then done. He, and then he it's runs away. And I'm just so like, tone deaf and out of place. What just happened? Yes. Was that real? I don't know. Was that a memory? 
What is going on? Fuck you! Fuck you! That whole scene was just completely bizarre. And made no sense. Right. When there's such a cool scene from the original when Bev is looking over the sink and then the blood shoots up and goes everywhere, way better than the balloon just popping and blood going everywhere in the TV miniseries. I thought that was an awesome shot. This just kind of regresses to where it's almost like it's like a Sam Raimi movie. Yeah, and it was funny, but it's too too short. And then it's placed in this scene that's just like, what... what is this doing in this movie? Yeah. And if they were going for Sam Raimi and that's why they, they they played up the comedy, like I would understand, but it doesn't feel like this is the context to do that in and they don't do it well. So it falls flat and instead of going, ha 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 ha, he's getting vomited on while they sing Angel in the Morning, you're like, wait. Why was that sudden whiplash of a tone shift for two seconds? And why Angel in the Morning? Why that song? I don't know. I, it. Anyway. So, Bill and goes... I, I want to say about okay. everything that is CG in this film. The Mrs. Kirsch, the, the leper... Uh-huh. When Bev turns into... The flaming head the clown. Flaming head. Like straight out of Twisted so Metal. so rubbery. It is. Nothing looks Nothing like it's looks actually substantial. There. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. And that's the big problem with CG. CG got so prolific that they started putting it in everything. And there are some movies where you're like, okay, they spent time and effort and money in order to make this look good. And there's a lot of other movies where they just kind of half-ass it. And it's not the artist's fault, I don't think, most of the time. It's that they're not given the time and the resources to make it look good. And this is one of those cases, I think. Anyway, Bill goes to the carnival. Because they all they all meet back up. And then they talk about how... What was the... How did he know that it was going after this little kid? He figures out that that it's going after this little kid, and he remembers that the kid said he was going to this carnival. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Something and, comes by. Something he was playing with. like. And he realizes, oh, my God, this kid's in danger. Yeah, I and don't And so know. he goes to the carnival, and then he sees the kid go into the Hall of Mirrors with his parents. And then with we never friends. see the parents again. It's like okay. with a friend. But we never see them again. And he runs in, and you know what? Kind of like the Hall of Mirrors. I did too. I enjoyed that part. It was a great scene, I thought. Except, so he's moving through the Hall of Mirrors and it's really fun. And Hall of Mirrors scenes can be really cliche, but I thought they did a really good job of it. I thought they did a good job. They made it seem very real. Like, it was a real place. I've never gotten to be in an awesome Hall of Mirrors. I've only been in the really cheap, shitty ones where it's like, you just walk through it. But, you know, you don't know what's a mirror and what's a pane of glass. And they have all the glasses and you see the trim on the glass. It's not just like they try to do in, like, that... Good scene in John Wick 2 with the mirrors where they have to hide the the camera, but it's, it's incredible, but it's just nothing but mirrors. This isn't like that. It feels more like a carnival hall of mirrors, and it's really cool. And then he finally finds the kid, but there's a plane of glass in the way of him. He's like, get out of here. You have to get out of here. And then Pennywise shows up on the other side of another pane of glass from this kid, like licks the window and then bangs his head on the glass over and over again. 
way too long. Like, just over and over again for a good solid 45 seconds at least. Just bang, 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 bang. Just keeps going on. And Bill's trying to break down his glass on his side so he can get to this kid, but he can't do it in time. Pennywise smashes through the glass and just eats this kid and blood goes everywhere on the glass right in front of Bill. The balls that they had to just kill this little kid like that reminded me time. It reminded me of Bill's little brother crawling on the ground without his arm and the blood dripping out of his shoulder. Like that was a brutal moment with a little kid. And I loved that in the first movie. And I was really surprised that they did that in this one. Even with the little girl, he just kind of goes and chomps on her. And then there's a scream and they cut away. But in this, it's like blood everywhere. And you know this kid is absolutely pulverized. (laughs) Kind of like that. So, while everyone else is back at the townhouse. This is when Bowers shows up. Yes. And he tries to kill Eddie and he stabs him in in the cheek. And it's, the whole thing is played for comedy. Okay, I did like the line of, you should really cut that mold, it's been 30 years. <laughs> okay, I did like that line. So it was a little unnecessary and out of place, but the line itself was funny. <laughs> you should cut that fucking mullet, it's been like 30 years, man. He, he stabs him, he stabs Eddie in the cheek, and Eddie is in such shock that he doesn't know how to react. And he, he climbs into the shower and closes the curtain, and then Henry walks up to him like he's going to attack him and instead Eddie stabs him in the gut through the shower curtain. Henry gets away. He he jumps out the window and he and I think it's Ben sees him pull the knife out and stagger away. And it's like, "Oh fuck, now he got away." Uh Henry's here and he's trying to kill us and they have to put a bandage over Eddie's face. He then shows up to attack Mike at the library. And they don't do the whole, you know, you're black and I hate you because I'm racist thing. And so he attacks Mike in the library and Richie or Ben, one of the two of them just hacks him to death in the head with a Shakopee tomahawk that was on display in the library. And the display broke and he just hacks him to death. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> and now they have a dead body in the library. Everything's smashed up and they're like, Fuck it, this town doesn't give a shit about anything. Let's leave the dead body here. (laughs) And they just do. (laughs) So everyone goes to the Niebold house, including Bill. And Bill's like, I'm doing this alone. I got to take care of him. And he's like really kind of selfish. And this is all about me. And everyone's like, no, we're doing this together. If it's going to happen, we need to stick together. And they convince him that it's best that they all go together into the Niebold house. And then they get into the sewers. Well, hold on. Before they go in, uh-huh. Richie says, let's kill this fucking clown, which is what he said in the first film. Yeah. Okay. And then he must say something else, because then Bev says, beep, beep, Richie. Well, I love what he's done with the place. Beep, beep, Richie. So they use it in the correct context of the original Beep Beep Richie, which they didn't do in the first chapter. (laughs) But now they haven't explained it at all. No. Pennywise said Beep Beep to Richie once. And it didn't make any sense then. And the original didn't make any sense why. And now it's a thing that they say to him in the second chapter. 
It's like they got notes from the first chapter, so they did it correctly in this one, but didn't bother to explain anything about it. Anyway, so they go through the house, and they're very traumatized by all the things that happened in the house. There's a scary door, the very scary door, the not-so-scary door. Yeah, Stan's head is in the fridge, and it comes out as a spider thing, like, from the thing. You gotta be fucking kidding. (gasps) You gotta be fucking kidding. What did you think of that effect? I didn't think it was that bad. No, it was fine. Yeah. It It was a little creepy, actually, having it skitter around like that. Yeah, I agree. But Stan himself, I don't remember what he says to them. I don't know. Couldn't save me. I died. Whatever. Something like that. I'd still be alive if it wasn't for you, Bill. Oh, there's a part where he gets up on the top. He's up above them. And Richie's like, where'd he go? Yeah. <laughs> and he drops on him. And he's down. like, oh, there yeah. he is. Uh-huh. <laughs> he is kind of funny. And they, they destroy him, but then he still pops up and gets away. And then we just never see his head again. Um, and this is a part where Eddie, like, becomes, like, a coward. Like, he takes on the role of Stan. Yes, he freezes, and then Bill gets mad at him for freezing. Right. He's like, I just want to go home. He goes into shock. He couldn't save Richie. Ben was forced to. And, yeah, Bill starts fucking yelling at Eddie, which is so out of Bill's character. Well, they do stop him. I don't know if it's Ben or Mike or somebody says, Bill. Yeah, but that's not what Bill's character is. At all. Yeah, I feel like Bill isn't even the leader anymore by no. this chapter. Kind of nobody is. A little bit Bev is. Yeah. Almost. Like, they kind of make her the main character. Her and Richie, they kind of make the main characters of this one. It was like they listen to test audiences. Oh, those are our two uh, favorites. Those are the two favorite characters. They are. They're the two best characters. And then little Eddie is also good. Anyway, there's all these scares we get in the Kneebolt house. Do you have any comments about those scares? There's the puppy in the door. Oh. Because last time they go in the not scary door. Oh, my God. Oh, that scene. There's the not scary at all, scary and very scary. And they're like, he's fucking with us. And they they go in the not scary door. It's the same doors from the first movie. And there's the bottom half of the girl who was looking for her shoes in the first chapter. Except it's not. Except it's not. That's what I thought, too. Uh-huh. Where's my shoe? That's supposed to be Betty Ripsum because they find Ripsum's shoe. Except that, in this version, suddenly she's a tap dancer for some fucking yeah. stupid-ass reason because apparently they think it's creepier to yeah. watch people uh, do a tap dance. Like, they didn't no, know why they included They didn't know why they included that character in the first chapter. Yeah. And you want to know why it also makes it even really fucking dumb? Because earlier in the film, Richie makes a joke about Pennywise's stupid ass dance from the first film. Yes. He turns it into a joke. Now, when I first saw it. Well, they said it, it was a creepy dance. I when feel. I first saw it, I thought it was dumb as shit. Okay? Whatever. Everyone else seemed to like it. Then in this movie, they turn it into a goddamn joke. They do that little dance. Am I the only one who remembers this shit? Where it's just like, we don't even give a shit about our source material. Yeah. <laughs> So they go instead into the, he's not fucking with us. He's not fucking with us. They go into the not scary at all. And they find a little Pomeranian. And then he does this sort of like, it seems like a scene out of Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed where the little dog swirls up into the CGI monster dog. And it, what? And they freak out and they close the door. And then they, they run away. And in neither movie do they try the just scary door. And I really want to know what's behind that door. 
why? It's going to be dumb. <laughs> well, because so, they didn't think about it. They saw this funny gimmick of all the doors, and they didn't bother to think, like, why they would just run away and not try that middle door, I don't know. So they end up going down into the sewers, and suddenly they have all this gear that I don't know where yeah, that they, they didn't got have it originally. from. Oh, by the way, this is the moment when I wrote, as soon as you stop caring completely... Because I realized this. As soon as you stop caring completely, it's actually a little fun just to see the characters react to everything. Especially Richie. Bill Hader is fantastically fun in this movie if you don't care about the characters at all. <laughs> but the problem is, you remember that nothing happens for any reason. It's just a series of things that happen. And that they still try to get you to take certain moments very seriously. And... Yeah. Yeah. It's it it's like the movie doesn't know what it wants to be. Oh, we were we were given props for being funny, let's be a comedy. Oh, we were being we were given props for being scary. Oh, we're going to be scary. Oh, people commented on that. It's like they took all the notes and they didn't try to turn it into anything cohesive. It's just they threw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall. They saw what stuck and then they just used those noodles. Like mm -hmm. that's that's it. Mhm. Mm anyway. This is when Mrs. Kirsch the saggy boob lady yeah. comes popping up, dun, and she dun, says, dun, time dun, to dun. sink. Yeah, instead of time to float. Kind of interesting, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, but then you think, like, wait a minute, is Pennywise, is that his joke? She looks like fucking, like, the Crypt Keeper, or, like, the MoMA character from online. Yeah, or, or, or like, a large version of Mama? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Either way, it looks fucking dumb. Yeah. So anyway, they finally get to the place where the meteor crashed, and they have this urn, and they put all their tokens into the urn, their Wait, artifacts. no, but the, you're skipping over a very important scene! What? There's this whole scene where they get lost, and, like, they have to find each other, and, like, Mike, where'd we go from here? And, and then nothing with it, and then they move on. Like, yeah. there's this whole fucking scene for, Where like, they get lost, and then there's... But nothing happens. Not. Yeah, uh-huh. It's not even Eddie's turn to be, like, the one that's like, we go this way. No, it's Mike who does yep. it. It's just... Nope. You know why I skipped over it? Because I forgot about it. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's so <laughs> much shit in this fucking movie that you're just like, I don't even remember that. Yeah. But I wrote it because I was like, why the fuck was that in here uh-huh why did we waste time on that i don't know and then they treat him they treat eddie almost like fucking dumbo uh, here it'll kill the monster if you believe in it just like the fucking feather <laughs> That's so funny like i because they don't build that up at all when did eddie become i know that eddie is supposed to be the 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 meek the one worry ward yeah. but when did he become the coward that was stan yeah well they don't have stan so anyway, anyway, they, they try to perform the ritual. Part of it involves saying turn light into dark over and over again. Turn light into dark. Turn light into dark. Say it! Say what? Say it! Turn, turn light, light into, into dark. Light. Therefore, I'll turn light dark. Turn light into dark! 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 Because they're talking about turning out the deadlights, but that's not made clear at all. Like, I'm wondering, what is the term turn light into dark supposed to mean? How does it relate to anything that happens? Why is it the mantra of the fucking movie? I, because they've at this point, they've made a huge deal about the deadlights, even though 
If you haven't fucking read the book, I don't know how you would know what the fuck they are. But right, but you would hope that this is kind of a metaphor for a message that the movie is trying to send. Yes, I totally get what you're about and what to say. what does that mean, turn light into dark? Exactly. I totally agree. But I, I think in the context, it's supposed to be that they're turning off the deadlights. But you're absolutely right. It sounds like they're saying, let's go to darkness. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> it, so what's, what ends up happening is the deadlights come down from above and they float down and, and they're about well, to. Well, let's say get, what all of the tokens are because okay. you haven't. I think I think we mentioned what they all are. You didn't say it was Eddie's inhaler because we didn't talk right. about that at yeah. all. Uh-huh. And when he does one last one, they like make fun of him for it, which why? Why would they do that? Right. Then all of a sudden, Mike has the rock that Bev threw that yeah. hit Bowers in the hit? face. Oh, because she saved him. So I, that's why. And it's the moment that they all got together. But why I that's guess. Mike's token, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> because they don't give a fuck about Mike. Mike never gets his story. And oh, it just don't worry. drives me insane. It gets worse for Mike. <laughs> they still manage to do him even dirtier. So the deadlights are coming down. They're about to trap it. And then it comes out. And he tells them, ho, 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 Mike didn't tell you what was on the fourth panel. Yeah, so on the fourth panel is the fact that the tribe was destroyed. Not the whole tribe, obviously, because he interacted with them, but the warriors that were trying to do the ritual, it failed and they were destroyed. And it's revealed that Mike is insane. <laughs> He's crazy, and if if I just got everyone together, I figured that we could do it because we have power because we're the Losers Club, and he is just nuts. Yes, he is manically nuts right now. What did they do to Mike? Also, I don't know when this happens, but I'm just going to say it now because we're talking about how shitty they are to poor Mike. Yeah. They also imply that he could have saved his family? Yes. And that he didn't. <laughs> right. That he now, just kind of sat there and did nothing. Now, he is supposed to be a toddler. Yes. And I can actually, I can imagine that a toddler would be so shocked and uh-huh, so and terrified and not know what to do. Wouldn't be able to fix but again, the situation. But again, again, when they're trying to tell people, let go of your childhood guilt. When you turn it into a film and you just have this kid just staring at these while people While his parents dying, die in a fire. It looks awful. Right, right. But my point is, it's the same thing that they did with Bill, where it's like, they gave him... Just a just a little bit of actual guilt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, just a little bit. Like why no, you actually did something kind of shitty, but, yeah, I but mean, it's okay because yeah. you were a kid and you didn't know any better. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. And throughout this climax, it it's dark and then lights keep flashing. I really hope that you're not photosensitive. This is when a gigantic balloon comes up and I wrote if you're not going to take your movie seriously, why should I? Right. So, I mean, bad things kind of happen to to everybody, but it specifically takes Bill, Ben, and Bev. Well, Bill ends up saving Mike because Mike gets so freaked out that it almost gets him and then yeah. Bill saves him. But it, but it takes Bill, Ben, and Bev and puts them in their own specific scenarios. Bev gets sent back to school in the toilet. Yes. Uh, ben gets sent back to the underground clubhouse. And, and this the, is actually... What honey, happens to Bill? I'll tell you in a second. But okay. this, this is actually when Richie and Eddie see the doors. This is when that happens. Oh, is it? Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The doors are in the sewer? Yeah. They're supposed to be up in the Kneebold house. I don't think so. Fuck this movie. <laughs> so that's when all that stuff happens. Then we see Bill. And this scene... 
This scene cinched it. Oh, oh, right. Like, it's this. in his flooded basement. Yeah. Where in the first chapter, he sees his little brother, Georgie. Yeah. Now, older Bill is also there. In the water, which is where Pennywise was. Right. And so. So it almost makes it seem like he's controlling Georgie. Yeah, he's actually Pennywise. And so young Bill puts the nail gun thing that they use to slaughter the sheep. Up to old Bill's head. Yeah, and young Bill is like, yeah, no, we totally did that. We just didn't want to hang out with our younger brother, so we didn't yes. go. It's your fault what happened, isn't it? You weren't really that sick that morning, were you? No. I just pretended because I didn't want to play with you. Just didn't want to. You lied and I died. 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 It happened because of me, Georgie. Me. No, 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 no. And he's like, what the fuck? No, he didn't. And I'm like, yeah, you're fucking right, older Bill. You fucking didn't do that shit. Because the book didn't say you did that shit. So fuck this movie. They didn't even imply it in the first film. And you want to know why? Because it's bullshit. And they put it into this movie (laughs) to create more drama. So, yes, it is is a very heavy-handed attempt at creating drama. So young Bill feels guilty and he wants to effectively kill himself by shooting his older self in the head. And older Bill has to talk younger Bill down from it by telling him it's not your fault, you had no control over this situation. It was Pennywise. It wasn't you. To when he finally pulls the trigger, nothing happens because he doesn't actually believe he's guilty anymore. And so older Bill, now recognizing that this younger Bill is a manifestation of Pennywise, turns the gun around on him and shoots his younger self. Which, destroy your younger self, I guess, is the message? And this is when we get a Here's Johnny reference for some stupid reason? Do we? This is the part where, like, it's Bowers, I think, as a kid. And, like, he he puts his face up against the thing and he says, here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. Oh, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I don't remember how it happens or why it happens, but I feel like that's most of this film. <laughs> yeah, it's a how lot of How and why that. is any of Just this fucking happening? Just a bunch of, a series of things happening for no reason. Yes. And, yeah, there's a here's Johnny reference, which... Why? Yeah. First of all, why the fuck is The Shining involved in this at all? And why on earth would people who are trying to respect, supposedly, King's source material, why would they include something from a movie that Stephen King doesn't like? Yeah, good point. Am I taking crazy pills here? Well, King agreed to be in this one. (laughs) So anyway, meanwhile... Bev and Ben are in their own scenarios and their rooms are filling up. Yeah, so Ben is drowning inside his little cubby hole under the of, ground. Uh, well, dirt, I think, is coming up and swallowing him. Meanwhile, You're just Bev- a fat loser who would die alone, according yes. to Pennywise. Bev, meanwhile, the bathroom is starting to fill up with water and he starts shouting, Beverly, I love you. And they, he realizes 
he shouts that right like because he's, he's shouting, just desperate and, and he's shouting the poem right well no so what happens is they're calling he's calling out to her and she realizes she can hear him she calls out to him he realizes they can actually hear each other and the last thing he wants to do before he dies is profess his love to her so he starts reciting this poem and since bev the only person she ever read the poem to was bill and bill was like what are you talking about? In the first movie, she still didn't, that still didn't get in her head that it wasn't Bill who wrote the poem. She realizes, oh, it was Ben that wrote the poem. And now she loves Ben and she needs to get to Ben somehow. And so she breaks through the ceiling, which is his ceiling. They're connected at the top. I don't know. Weirdly. And they both manage to escape by finding each other and being in love. Yeah. Something like that. Okay, so Richie gets caught in the deadlights. And we thought, oh my God, we're going to get the real ritual of Chud. And we're going to see the turtle. He's been there since the beginning of time. It is kind of a lesser enemy of his. None of that happens. I'm like, oh my God, they're going to do it. How are they going to pull it off? What's it going to look like? And they don't do it at all. Instead, Richie just gets caught in the deadlights. And then Eddie saves him from the deadlights and ends up getting killed that way i don't remember specifically what happens to him but well yeah so he pennywise is slowly becoming whatever that creature is supposed to be it's like a scorpion slash spider yes i don't uh fucking know so slight reference to the original miniseries we get here and the book because he does turn into a spider at the end Mm -hmm. of the book but anyway yeah so he ends up saving richie and i don't remember what he does he does something. It's not it's not battery acid cuz he's already gotten rid of his inhaler. Uh so I don't know what he does to stop Is Pennywise. it that fence thing that Bev gives him? Oh, maybe. This kills monsters. If you believe it does. 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 Beep beep motherfucker. But so, yeah, so he's really excited and he's like, I really think I killed it, Richie. I really think I killed And then he's been stabbed through the Right. Gut. Yes, 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 yes. And then there's this whole metaphorical thing by defeating it, by not giving it power over you. Yeah, so they all kind of swarm you over it. You have no power over exactly. me. Exactly. <laughs> so they swarm around it. And this is the problem. The reason that it works for Nightmare is that Freddy is deadly and he's actually a threat And regardless of the fact that there are jokes, he's terrifying. We just don't get that in It. So now they're just going to shout down at him and it's kind of silly. And he gets smaller and smaller. And I'm like, did we need to make Uh the metaphor that obvious? Yes. Did we really need to do that? And then his big fat head splats against the back wall of the inside of this this meteor. so dumb. Yeah. And he's he's sitting there and he's like crying. That's what it's supposed to be. Yes. And but it looks ridiculous. And Mike tears out its heart, and then they all put their hands together and crush the heart together, and they kill it. Eddie's dead. There's a cave-in that happens. The whole cavern starts collapsing, and so they need to get out. They leave Eddie's body, which happens in the source material, too. Yeah. But, like, are, are you not worried about, like, because his wife knows where he is. 
they don't ever talk they about never that in address the book that. either. Yeah. Like, they never bring up his wife. <laughs> the fact that there's a dead man in the library that Mike runs. That gets taken care of in the book. So we have this uh, denouement. Richie goes back to the place where he carved in the letters and more solidly carves in the second letter. It's R plus E. He was in love with Eddie, which didn't feel very well established at all, other than the fact that they bicker at each other. Mm-hmm. All their scars go away, the ones that they have on their hand. Which, which they is, barely even touch on yeah, in the film. It's how they remember, partly. Is but that, they bring oh, wait, it up like twice. Scar. Yeah. Ben and Beverly are together now. Mike, he leaves Derry. So he gets that bonus. Well, do you want to bring up like that they jump into the ravine again? Oh, right. Yeah, they do that. Beth pulls Ben under the water and they kiss. That's how they, yeah, that's how they get together. Richie, uh, Richie cries. loses his glasses. Bill gives this ridiculous speech about how Eddie would always be looking out for us, which is ridiculous because Bill had just been yelling at Eddie because he was about to let Richie die. But whatever, when they get out of the water, they're all perfectly dry and their hair is all perfectly thin. Uh And then they have a cut to them as kids because, again, everybody likes the kids better than they like the adults. Right. So really what you said before the trailer, absolutely true. They should have put this all together into one thing and made it a limited run series of six to ten episodes and tell it in a chapter format like Mm -hmm. that. Not like this. No. Not like this. Where the first movie is all kids and then the second movie is an overlong kids and adults where they they didn't seem to learn the right lessons from the first movie. Anyway, they all go home. Mike leaves Derry. And then Mike calls up Bill and says, did you get the letter? No. And Bill's like, what letter? I haven't checked my mail yet or whatever. And it's revealed that before Stan killed himself, he wrote a personalized letter to every one of the members. Which he couldn't remember, but you know. Yes, because he didn't go through the same thing where everyone remembered. But I guess he remembered the hardest. That's why he killed himself. He and remembered he the scariest thing. He's, he s- explains why he committed suicide, which is if he showed up, he would be a weak link and they would fail. So he might as well die now and then the rest of them would be able to get through it. You're probably wondering why I did what I did. It's because I knew I was too scared to go back. And if we weren't together, if all of us alive weren't united, I knew we'd all die. So I made the only logical move. I took myself off the board. And that's a horrible message to send to people about suicide. Absolutely horrible. It's also really terrible because, again, it's a slap in the face to Pennywise because it's supposed to be like he kills himself because Because he's he's terrified. (laughs) Yes. Not because it's the rational right thing to do. Mm -hmm. You don't want to give anyone the sense that suicide is the rational right thing to do. We're losers and we always will be. Okay, yeah. So then... It wraps up with a lot of platitudes that there's no reason for Stanley to do this other than the fact that, oh, isn't it profound that he sent this message before he died? Be who you want to be. Be proud. And if you find someone worth holding on to, never, ever let them go. Anyway, and then they all say, like, we're a bunch of losers. Think of this letter as a promise. A promise I'm asking you to make. 
to me. To each other? An oath. See, the thing about being a loser is you don't have anything to lose. So. Be true. Be brave. Stand. Believe. And don't ever forget. We're losers. And we always will be. It is so, so bad, so bad and cheesy and dumb and trying to, again, when I told you that the movie's at its best when you just don't give a shit about anything and then you just enjoy the reactions to things, but the movie still tries to get you to take things very seriously, even when they're just overly saccharine and cheesy as fuck. This is one of those moments. It's like the end of The Breakfast Club. When they say when when you're a a nerd or a jock or a pretty girl or whatever it is that they say at the breakfast club, yes, they yes. do that at the end of this. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, so bad. And that's the end of the movie. Do you have lightning round stuff? No. No. What do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? 64. 62, actually. It Chapter 2 proves bigger doesn't always mean scarier for horror sequels, <laughs> but a fine cast and faithful approach to the source material keep this follow-up afloat. Get it? They keep it afloat? Mm-hmm. And it, there are some moments where they're faithful to the source material, but as we discussed, there's a lot where they're not. Yeah. A Metacritic of 58, a cinema score of B+. Overrated or underrated? Overrated. Absolutely. Now, let me just go over real quick... Chapter 1 and the TV miniseries. The Rotten Tomatoes of Chapter 1 was 86. It was 85 when we actually did the episode. Uh, You gave it a 78. I gave it an 85. The TV miniseries had a Rotten Tomato of 61. It was 57 at the time we did the episode, so it's gone up since then for some reason. You gave it a 65. I gave it a 50. What would you give it Chapter 2? I'm going to give it a 38. I was going to give it a 35. Yeah. this hey, You know, this is kind of a rare one where, just like the It miniseries, where I give it a lower score than you do. Yeah, I thought... It's, again, It this is the standard. It's no lifeblood. <laughs> right? It's no zero. Right. There were parts that genuinely made me laugh. Yes. M- even, even begrudgingly, I would laugh. Because yep. there were some funny lines. Bill Hader is a funny guy. Yep. And you give him funny lines and I'm going to laugh. Even though it doesn't necessarily make the movie better, you still made me laugh. Yes. Exactly. There are some really cool shots. I really like the shot with Pennywise up on top of Paul Bunyan. I uh-huh. I, I actually like that whole sequence aesthetically. <laughs> Yes. Not storyline. Right. I just wish the parts with the kids are better than with the adults. Some of them. Some of them. Not all of them, but some of them. The part with the mirrors is kind of cool. The de-aging was... Ooh, is bad. Yeah. Oh, is really bad. You're just going to make them look fuzzy the whole fucking time. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) There's just, there's a lot. There's so much shit. There's so much shit going on in this movie. Yep. 
I was very surprised. Now, again, we went into this movie with lowered expectations. Everyone's like, it is worse than the first one. Like, we knew that going in. And we were still surprised to find out just how much worse than the first one it was. And it's weird because scenes that I absolutely despise, I hate the scene with Eddie and his mother. It makes no sense. Yeah. And yet, and the part and the part with the, the stuff coming out at him makes no sense and is totally stupid and it doesn't fit with the tone. It doesn't fit it's with the mood. out of nowhere. Yeah. It's a reference to nothing. But it made me laugh. It did? It did. I laughed when it happened. Well, I I was like, what the hell is this? And no, not, it genuinely not in a good made way. me laugh. But two seconds later, I was thinking about how stupid it was. Yeah, uh-huh. But it just, I just think because it came out of fucking nowhere that it just was like, was oh disarming. my God. Like, just like, that was hilarious. Like, what the fuck? And then two seconds later, you're like, but why? Yeah, none of this meant anything. Why is any of this happening? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, the whole movie is like that. Yeah. None of this means anything. Why is any of this happening? Yeah. So that is it. Chapter two <laughs> from this year, 2019. And that's the end of Stephen King sequels week on Pod Cemetery. But what are we watching next week? Kelsey? Well, is it because do you want to talk about it in the tall grass real quick? Very briefly. Okay. We did watch in the tall grass. It's not a Stephen King sequel, but it is a Stephen King and Joe Hill adaptation. What did you think of it? Pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I was surprised that they managed to keep my attention through the whole thing. Yeah, they did. Because they kept changing things. Yeah. So you were interested as to where it was going. Because the whole thing takes place in the grass. And then the end makes no fucking sense. Yeah, and they they drop a lot of plot lines. Uh, The kid is one, without giving away spoilers, the kid is one way at one point, and then they just completely forget that he was ever that way by the end of the movie. But for a kid, I thought he did a good job. Yeah, I think all the characters were interesting and fun to an extent. Patrick Wilson's character was such a typical Stephen King guy. Yep. Pissed very me much so. He, he was just straight out of every Stephen King book. The good guy who does things The good shitty. guy at heart who has a who has a problem, yes. you know. Like doesn't know how to actually be a good person. Like Jack in the Shining yep. and yeah. So anyway, it was wouldn't recommend it. Wouldn't recommend it. No. It wasn't bad. But I wouldn't recommend it. I thought it was pretty bad. It's kind of a nothing thing. And I'm like, why did they make it? Yeah. God, not to just be down on Stephen King. We love Stephen King. I love Stephen. Stephen knows. (laughs) He knows. (laughs) All right. Well, that is the end of Stephen King sequels week. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? It's Christmas time. So we are going to watch... Christmas Evil. Oh, yay. And a Christmas Horror Story. Never heard of it. It's probably going to be garbage, but who knows? It might surprise us. You never know. You never know. Christmas time. Yes. Really excited for that. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com where you can get a list of every episode that we have in chronological order or a list of every movie we've covered in alphabetical order with beautiful poster artwork and all that. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. Five-star written reviews are the biggest help you can give to us there. Share us with your friends. That's even better. And listening in the GD First Place is the absolute best. We love each and every one of you. Until next time, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, 
Any last words? Everybody wants a happy ending. Everybody wants closure, but that's not the way life works out. Like, nobody tries to, like, grab her off or Well, anything. you don't want to do that or else you'll get electrocuted, too. You're telling me that if, like, I threw myself at her just to, like, get her off of it, mm-hmm. I would be electrocuted as well and it would kill me? If you touched her, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Anyway. The, the housekeeper. housekeeper. If you were gay. That'd be okay. What is that? <laughs> because, hey, I love you anyway. Uh, it's from Avenue Q. Mm-hmm. Do you have any notes about this? Uh, No, my next thing is... Them going into the sewers? I'm a loser and I always fucking will be. We're all coming. Let's kill this fucking clown. Yeah, that's when they go to the Nebold house, which is after this. So, so I don't have anything written for this. Yeah. <laughs> so... I think this is the part, this is where we turned it off. This is the part where I was just like, I'm so not interested. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had had enough. Oh, this was fun. Who killed a psychotic clown before he was 14? Me. Who stabbed Bowers with a knife he pulled out of his own face? Also me. Who married a woman 10 times his own body mass? Me. Yeah, you're braver than you think. It's Christmas time! Is that your Jack Skellington impression? No. Because <laughs> it kind of sounded like it. It's Christmas time! <laughs> cool. All right. Oh, that was a little long. 